Good evening, everyone. My name is Katie. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. How are you guys on this fine Friday? Um, thank you, Les, for reaching out and asking me to lead. Um, I'm humbled to be standing here in front of you guys tonight. I've got 14 and a half years of sobriety. Um, God and sobriety are my greatest gift. I stand before you as a sober woman. My children have never seen me drink. Um, it truly is my greatest blessing to be here as a sober woman on a Friday night. Um, Alex, you talked about contrary action, and when you texted me last, I have never said no to an AA commitment. And my little head got in there and was like, oh, it's Friday night, and I have a weekend full. I think there's 11 baseball, softball, and soccer games between tomorrow morning and Monday. There are 33 other things I could be doing right now, but this is the most important. Showing up for you guys, telling my truth, staying humble in who I am, and protecting my sobriety. So um, thank you, Les. I love you. You've been a part of my journey for many years, and I'm super grateful that we have stayed in touch. Um, so I've been sober 14 and a half years, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit about my, my story. And mine starts out a little bit different. Alcoholism has been a part of my life since I was born. Um, I was raised in Iowa with a mom, dad, and I was an only child for six years. Of those six years, um, I want to say like four of them were pretty rough. I had drunk parents, alcoholic parents who um, were extremely, what I would say is unpredictable. And when I say that, I mean my dad was the fun guy that, you know, in Iowa you had snowstorms. So he and his neighbor buddies, um, David Lynn and Al Lundquist would come over and we had a sauna in our basement and they would go rolling around in the snow and then they'd go in the sauna and then they'd go roll in the snow and then my mom would take pictures and we'd frame them and we'd put them on the wall for artwork. So it was like that unpredictability, but he was fun and everybody wanted to be around him. My dad is a light. He attracts people even to this day. My mom was the very smart valedictorian, prim and proper, great grammar, um, could fool you and tell you exactly what you wanted to hear, but she was the person behind closed doors who would get drunk and pee her pants and light the chair on fire and fall asleep in the middle of like an important dinner. So I had the two extremes, right? So I'm this only child living in Iowa and I knew from a very young age that I was different. I felt different. Um, I had trouble really connecting to people, but I could relate to you. I could become who you needed me to be and I could save, fix, control, manipulate, whatever you needed me to do, I could do it. And I did it very effortlessly with like grace and dignity as contradictory as that sounds. Um, <clears throat> I struggled when my mom found out she was pregnant with my sister, um, we thought she had cancer. We thought she had a tumor in the stomach and she came home. It was a September day in Iowa, um, standing on our deck. And she said, I have something to tell you. You're going to be a big sister. You're going to have a sister in five weeks. So five weeks later, this miracle baby comes into my life and her name is Allie. Um, she's six years younger than I am. And my entire world was flipped upside down. I went from being there, everything to what I perceived or felt as nothing this baby became everything. So not only did I feel as a young child that I was different and I just wasn't normal, now I don't matter, okay? So I went through life um, looking back, kind of resenting this baby, but then I would take on this baby as like a task. Oh, if I change her diaper and I feed her and I show up for her, my parents are gonna love me more and I'm gonna be accepted and I'm gonna be wanted. 
Well, that never really happened. And I just kept doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and never really getting any kind of recognition um, or affirmations from my parents. You know, obviously now knowing what I know, they could not meet my emotional needs. Two alcoholic parents raising children couldn't give me what I needed, right? So when um, I was, gosh, 19... 18, 19, I left Iowa for a, like a couple weeks in the summer. My girlfriend's sister worked at Blizzard Beach in Florida. And my friend Kelly Roberson said, why don't you go down and let's go see my sister Paige. Uh, my mom's going to fly us down. Paige will pick us up at the airport. We'll have a blast. We'll get to go to all the theme parks for free and live it up. And I'm like, great. So we go down to Florida. And the first night I got there, all of these lifeguards for Blizzard Beach were partying, and I had never had a sip of alcohol because I was gonna be the child that never drank, I was never gonna pick up a cigarette. Um, why would I ever wanna become like my mother or my father? And they made jello shots that night, and um, I loved cherry jello. I no longer like cherry jello, but um, they made jello shots, and I don't know how many I had, but I can tell you that when I woke up the next morning, the ends of my hair were the color of cherry jello. And I woke up and I looked and felt like absolute shit and there was a stain on this carpet. And I was mortified. I had all of these um, lifeguards who were probably, I don't know, 19 to 25 staring at me like, look what you did. And there again, there's that validation of I'm not good enough. I'm not normal. I couldn't even drink like these people, but I had no recognition. I just thought that the jello was bad. So I go back to Iowa. I continue living my life. I'm... <laughs> stone cold sober, didn't drink in high school. Um, in fact, I was like the designated driver. I was very responsible. I'm like your typical Al-Anon alcoholic, right? And um, it wasn't until I turned 20, almost 20 and a half, um, I decided that I wanted to move to Florida to go to college. And when I lived in my apartment, I had roommates. I had one from Key West. I had one from upstate New York. I had one from Chicago. And then I was from Des Moines, Iowa. We all moved in together. Nobody knew each other. And nobody had really partied. So we decided that we were going to go out. And um, one of the ladies that was at the bar, we were at the ale house. She ordered a skinny bitch. And I said, well, what is that? So that's a Diet Coke and vodka. And I'm like, great. Looking at that now, my mother would drink Diet Coke or take a shot of vodka and chase it with Diet Coke. But I thought, oh, I'm going to mix them together, so I'm not going to be like my mom. Well, Skinny Bitch became my best friend. And um, I don't really have a great drunkalog. I drank from when I was 20 to 26. I drank Skinny Bitches pretty much every time I went out. Um, although I did work for Gallo Wine. I don't think any of you know this, but I did work for Gallo Wine. That was my first job out of... Um, out of college and I had to obviously drink wine. I mean, when you work for a wine company, you've got to drink wine, that's a big deal. And we would travel up to Napa and Sonoma and uh, definitely looking back, I mean, I could control my alcoholism to a certain extent because I was getting paid, right? I didn't want to get fired. And um, I knew that the minute that first sip of whatever I was drinking hit my tongue, I would instantly think that sip is not enough and a hundred's gonna be too many. How do I control and find that balance? And that was the struggle that I had for the six years of my drinking career is how can I go out tonight and just have one or just have two or just have enough to where I don't get drunk or to where I don't throw up. And looking back now, it's, it was one of those things. It was the, the emotional and mental part of me trying to control my drinking was exhausting. And then I would end up failing myself and I would leave myself disappointed. And then I would say, I'm never going to do that again. 
and then I'd wait, you know, two, three weeks because I wasn't an everyday drinker. I was the fun Katie who loved to go to the bar. And I'd be like, this time it's going to be different. I'm going to do it differently. And I would have every intention to do it differently. And then the same shit would happen. And I would be addicted to that set of feelings that would leave me disappointed. So um, let me take you back to 2006, living in San Dimas. I'm 23 years old. I was dating or engaged to a man who would have been, what, 29. Um, and we drank together socially, and he would make comments like under his breath, like, oh, you're really unpredictable, or what kind of Katie is going to come out tonight? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I got this. We're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And I, I remember looking at him, and he would kind of like watch me from the corner of his eye because I was so fun. I was the girl that was on the table, and then I'd have you guys all on the table, and then someone would take their clothes off, and then you'd take your clothes off, and... Everybody just loved fun Katie because she never caused trouble. She never, looking by, I guess that is kind of troublish, but I never got in trouble. Like it was just fun and it was accepted, if you kind of know what I'm saying. You have to really understand that. Um, but my husband was always very discontent or uncomfortable when I would pull out that, that trick. And um, he had, when I was 23, he had deviated septum surgery in his nose. And um, had it on a Thursday. And on that Saturday night, my sister came to town with a couple girlfriends. And he said, you know, I'm going to stay in and get some rest. And I'm like, great. I was very responsible. I called us a cab. We went to the San Dimas Bowling Alley. Because that's where I would like to frequent. They had uh, skinny bitches and they had karaoke. So we would go to the San Dimas Bowling Alley. And that night, my cab driver that would pick us up didn't show up. And so... Uh, lo and behold, I would never get behind the wheel because I'm responsible. My sister sees a friend from um, the college that she went to out here and he offered to give us a ride home. Sober. And so he takes us home and he has a raised uh, Jeep Wrangler. And it was pretty noisy. I don't know if it had like some kind of exhaust on it, but he pulled in the driveway and it's, you know, he's like revving the engine or it's just making these loud noises. And I was pretty drunk, but I remember walking in and my husband waking up from this deviated septum surgery. You know, he's out what 24 or 36 hours and he looked at me like I'll never forget the way he looked at me it was with utter disgust and he slammed the bedroom door and was like I'll see you in the morning and I'm pretty good at talking my way out of things and that night I couldn't talk my way out of it I ended up falling asleep um, so the door is here I put my legs up against the door so my butt was at the base of the door and I kicked the door and I was convinced that I was going to kick the door till he let me in well I passed out and that's where I woke up. And I know that that's not like a ditch or in jail, but it was really gross that next morning. I woke up in this little hallway with my legs on top of a door and mascara was all over. And um, that was the first time I really, really felt shame and guilt around my drinking. Not only was I disappointed in myself and the behavior and the wreckage that I had caused, I was disgusted with how I had disrespected my husband who um, had, actually, he wasn't even my husband. Yes, he was my husband. Um, how I disrespected him after he was recovering from this surgery. And so I remember that day very, very well. Um, I had been in Al-Anon for six years. I had an Al-Anon sponsor. Her name is Diana. She is also an AA. Many of you probably know her. Um, and Mike came out of the bedroom, maybe around like 11 o'clock that day. And he said to me, um, I don't, I'm not going to fight with you but I want a divorce. We had been married three months to that day. And I was like, oh, a divorce, okay. And I played it off because you know I'm gonna put up a wall. You'll never see how I really feel. God forbid I'm vulnerable with you. 
And um, I remember calling Diana and I said, I need to go to an AA meeting with you. And she said, great, there's the Pitzer meeting tonight at seven o'clock, it was a Sunday night. And she said, I'll pick you up. I said, perfect. So we go to the Pitzer meeting together. And this is one of my favorite aha moments of my sobriety story. We walk in, there are hundreds of people if you've ever been to the Pitzer meeting. I did not know anyone. And as the person from the podium stood up and said, are there any newcomers in their first 30 days of their meetings who would like to introduce themselves? Please stand up and, and say your name. And I'm looking around and my sponsor looks at me and she's like, stand up. And I'm like, she took my arm and like pulled me out of my seat and said, stand up and introduce yourself. And I said, hi, my name is Kate. I could not tell you that I was Katie and I was an alcoholic. I said, my name is Kate and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody clapped and they gave me a welcome chip and the speaker was profound that night. Um, her story was incredible and she really touched my heart. But I had no intention of getting sober. I went to that meeting to save my marriage. I woke up that next Monday on November 5th, a sober woman. And I have remained sober every single day since that day. And I share that with you because I am one of the lucky ones who just poof, got sobriety and I have never really had any difficulty with it. With that being said, when I tell you that it's my greatest gift, it is because my mother died from this disease. My mother continued her drinking career um, well through my years at UCF when I moved to Florida, so much so that her varices in her throat popped. Um, she had jaundice, she had elephantitis, she had a liver transplant, then she was sober for nine years. And then one of my cousins, um, got diagnosed with, with cancer of the lung and it was terminal. And that was like a daughter to my mom. And that just sent my mom into a tailspin and my mom relapsed. And that was back in 2015. And she died February of 2016. And we never did an autopsy report, but I found two little airplane bottles of vodka. And I stand here before you because I watched her do everything, a transplant, go to AA meetings, get a sponsor. She went to Hazleton in Minnesota. She did all the things that we do and she could not get the gift of sobriety. And so it's important for me as a sober woman to give back. Um, my favorite meetings before COVID were the, the women's meetings at the Harvard and Harrison um, Church in Claremont where a lot of the women would come out of prison and they had discovered AA and God in, in prison. And they would come out and they, they'd not looked out a window. They didn't know how to turn a cell phone on. They didn't know how to acclimate to life. And so I would go and I would sit with these women and have coffee and just listen to their stories and help them learn how to use a cell phone or talk about how they should approach their child now that they're out of the penitentiary. Um, they'd ask me for rides on the bus. I mean, these are like, some of the women were scary. They, they'd murdered people. And I'd see them at Target on a rainy night and they'd ask me for a ride home. And I was scared to death, but you know what? I'm a sober woman of integrity and I would ask God, like God guide me, help me give this person exactly what they need. Allow you to speak through me so I can touch their heart. And I miss that meeting. I miss that meeting a lot. It taught me a lot about my life and it taught me a lot of you know, humility and it humbled me every single day that I attended that meeting. And in my recovery, um, you know, I spend a lot of time um, reading and really trying to understand why do we do what we do? 
And I think tonight, when I think back about my, my drinking and how it played a role in, in my life, I think back to that child who felt that she was never a part of. She was unwanted. She was alone. Um, she wasn't normal. She didn't know how to fit in. She didn't know how to connect, but she could force her way in or she could manipulate it. So it looked authentic, but it never felt right in my soul. And when I discovered alcohol, it was as if alcohol gave me that false sense of identity because it was like, oh my God, I can breathe. I can fucking get on top of a table or I can walk up to the guy that I thought was cute because I felt like I had it all. And it wasn't until I started, you know, really getting into the steps and the recovery and understanding why do we do what we do and why is the addiction, I mean, I know that the addiction runs, I'm a very extreme person. Um, with everything I do to this day. If I buy one laundry detergent on sale, I buy 12. If I go to the gym, I go every day for two hours. Um, If I'm in a binge, I'm in a binge on food. Like that's just how I am. But I really want to be in touch with why am am I doing it? What, What is it inside of me? What am I feeling? And so I've really studied a lot about, you know, tapped into my feelings and gone back into drunk Katie versus sober Katie. And when I look at why did I have to drink? Well, what was that? I didn't know what I was feeling. I just knew that I felt uncomfortable, unwanted, unloved, and alone. I just felt different. And I remember the sensations like, you know, when you walk into a bar before you have that first sip or, or into a party where you're not wanted or you don't feel that you're a part of or you're not pretty enough or you're not this. And it's that feeling inside of you, right? It's... I don't know how I'm going to do this, so I'm going to drink to be able to get through it. And then I have that first sip, and it was like, oh, God, that's not enough. I got it. Where's the next one coming from, right? Um, It just wasn't enough. And now that I'm sober, I can tap into my feelings, and I can feel, oh, I'm sad. And I feel the sadness. And I want to understand, okay, well, what's making me sad? And just stay in the feeling and not the thought that follows the feeling. And so the more that I step in and really connect with my body and don't let my mind, like Alexandra said, you know, our mind will tell us, oh, we don't belong here or we don't need to go to AA or, oh, maybe I can be different now. You know, I have a lot of people that will say to me, oh, maybe I can go out and be different now that I've been sober 20 years. Like that's, that's the mind that's those thoughts that make us crazy, right? And then if you listen to those thoughts, you go back to drink and where are we? We're far up, far worse than we were when we quit drinking in the beginning. So I'm really mindful now of what's causing me to feel different or sad or frustrated or whatever the feeling is, even happy. What's causing me that and how can I just sit and, and let the discomfort, it's typically the negative feelings that I have to sit with and not react to the thoughts that are following the feeling. How can I sit in my discomfort rather than go find a quick fix, alcohol or food or whatever your quick fix is? Whereas in the past, it was like the minute I feel something, I would, I would have to go drink or I would stuff my feelings because I didn't want to deal with them. And then I'd wait until I did go out and drink. And then I would feel even more shame and more guilt and more disappointment the next day because I had repressed all of what I felt and let the alcohol take over. 
So the alcohol became, it was a, you know, like I said, it was kind of like a false identity, but it was a crutch that allowed me to be who I thought I wanted to be. And sometimes that was freeing until I took it too far. And so I, I really think about the person that I was when I drank and what I loved about that person minus the alcohol and how can I stand before you today as a sober woman and stand in my freedom and my power and be that person that I've always wanted to be. And I'm finally figuring it out, you guys. Like, I am good enough. My self-worth and my character assets, and I still have character defects, but all of who I've ever wanted to be was within. I just had to figure out and I had to go through that murky water to stand before you today to tell you that I was always good enough. It was my sick thoughts and my alcoholism that tried to derail me. And so as I... As I'm parenting my children and, you know, in a marriage, because people don't talk about, well, people don't tell you, you know, oh, when you get sober, you're still going to have, you know, trouble raising kids or you're going to have marriage. Like, marriage is fucking hard. Anybody with me? And I'm married to a pretty good guy and I'm raising a 13-year-old who is hitting puberty and his emotions and, and I'm struggling. He's struggling. And I was just telling someone here tonight, I'm like, I can't imagine not being present and sober and dealing with that because it's hard, it's challenging, it's tough. But I put my nose to the grind and I'm like, okay, God, guide me, show me who I'm supposed to be to show up in my marriage, to show up to my son, to show up to my daughter, to be there for my friends, to show up as a realtor, to show up as a life coach, to show up, to show up, to show up, to show up here for you tonight. God, show me who I'm supposed to be. Disclose that to me with grace and dignity and confidence. Check my ego at the door. Like, allow me to just stand in my power and tell you my truth. Because alcoholism has taken so much from me. My dad still drinks actively every day. It's not near as bad as it was because, remember I told you, he's unpredictable and he's fun. He would wear in Iowa, he would go in our garage and he'd wear one of those caps that when you go skiing, you know, it's like would be neon green with like the black fur. He'd get all bundled up and he'd go sit in the garage and he would smoke cigarettes or cigars and he would drink whiskey and bourbon. And then he'd get really mean. And then sometimes he'd drink beer and he'd be doing super dickheads off the pool, off the diving board at the pool. Um, So it was like alcoholism has taken so much from me. It took my whole childhood. I had to figure it out, lie, cheat, manipulate, steal to get what I needed to survive. And I will be damned if it's gonna take who I'm supposed to be. I am so unbelievably grateful to AA and to Diana. She doesn't sponsor me anymore, but I will never forget when she took that right arm and said, stand up and introduce yourself because I don't know where I'd be had she not done that. And even though my truth was I was Kate, I was an alcoholic because I was ashamed and I felt like I didn't belong. And I couldn't tell you because my ego was too big. I had this great wall of China and this wall and the bricks that I had stacked because if you really knew who I was, what would you think? But now it doesn't matter what you think because all that matters is what I think. And today I can tell you that like I stand before you with friends and 
a new friend, I have a, another new friend, I have an old friend, I have an old friend, I have my kids' friends. Like, I am so blessed with people that show up for me every single day. And in return, I get to show up for them. I get to be of service. I get to hold commitments. I, I don't love to sponsor, and that's hard for me to say because sponsors, I think, are the glue to this program. I don't love it. So when people call me and are like, oh my gosh, can you sponsor me? I'm like, I will guide you until you find the perfect sponsor. And that's hard for me to tell you my truth, but that is my truth. I will never let anyone fail, but I will help you find a sponsor. I will pick up these cigarette butts that people smoke at the Triangle Club. Like nothing is too great for me today. And growing up, you know, I, I feel like Al-Anon gave me some wings but I was still in the nest. Like I would flap my wings. I lived in the nest. I had people that showed up as mothers and grandmothers. They were the ones that threw me my bridal shower and came to my wedding and then I got pregnant and they showed up because my mom was too busy drinking. And so Al-Anon gave me the, the foundation of who I am today. And then at 26, when I decided to get sober, AA has given me my life. I'm only 14 and a half living in a 41-year-old's body, raising two kids that's married in a crazy world with crazy things happening. And what I've realized, like it talks about in the big book, we can't control people, places, and things. We can control, and I tell my children, I'm like, imagine that you have a hula hoop around you. We can control what's in our hula hoop, kids. That's it. That's all we have control over. That is it. And so as I am aware I raise my awareness every day. I want to vibrate at the highest possible level and calibrate so high and attract that same energy to my life so we can become better. We can become the light in this dark world. That is what's saving me. I don't need to go out and try to fix the politics and all of the shit that's happening. I can only control what I do in my hula hoop. I can have ideas, I can share them but I can't get fixated on trying to control and change and manipulate because that's who I was. It makes me crazy. And so as I, as I raise my awareness and I realize what's happening you know, in this world with people that are still alcoholics, with my family, you know, it's I'm, I'm aware, but today I set boundaries. I have consequences and then I follow through. I have a backup plan. I take care of myself. I no longer rely on you to give me what I think I need or what I thought I needed for me to feel better. I am solely responsible for myself. So when my dad showed up last, uh, was it last weekend or the weekend before, um, he, has, he lived out, my mom and dad actually moved out here when my son was born, so 13 years ago. Um, and then my mom died here in California. My dad stayed here all of this time by himself and then he decided in November to move back to Iowa with my sister and he built a house. So the first time he came back was two weekends ago and he called, he has a little girlfriend cause you know, he does that dating online stuff and he doesn't really know what he's doing on computers. And so his, his little um, location was in Simi Valley even though he was living in Upland. So he was making a big commute to go see this young lady and they're doing the distance right now. And he came out to see her and he said, you know, hell, maybe we, my dad's really funny. He's all, hell, maybe we can get together for dinner. Shit, would you like that? And I'm like, yeah, I would. I would like to see you for dinner. But the old me would have been resentful and frustrated that he didn't show up to California to rescue me, to 
come and stay with me, to take care of me. How dare you go see your girlfriend when you have a daughter here? Because that's how I used to live. And so when he showed up for dinner with this young lady, I treated her with the utmost respect, even though it was hard. She's not my mom. It's weird to see him with someone else. And he ordered his two bourbons or scotch or whatever he had. And I didn't get to look at the price and see what he was drinking and watch, you know, pour water in it. All the shit that I did growing up to try to get him to stop drinking. I just sat there and I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful that he's not staying with me. I mean, you guys, that is growth because in the past I would have, I would have manipulated and controlled him and forced him to stay with me. And then I would have been so resentful and angry. And then I would have been an asshole and then he would have left and we would have been fighting and it's just dysfunction at its finest. And so after dinner, I said, what are you doing tomorrow, dad? Gianna's got a soccer game in Irvine. Would you like to come out? And he kind of thought about it and he's like, well, shit, you know, I suppose, yeah, I suppose we can come out there. I had zero expectations for him to show up, but he did. And he got to see his granddaughter play a great game. And then the next night he said, can I borrow your forerunner? I need a car. And I said, absolutely. Why don't you come to the house? We'll get some pizza and we'll hang out for a little bit. And I invited the girlfriend into my home because that's what I was taught in these rooms. We treat people with grace and dignity and kindness, whether they deserve it or not. And she's a wonderful woman. And so I went one more time to meet my dad in Pasadena and you know, I had to laugh because Green Street Cafe, if none of you have ever been there, it's my favorite restaurant in Pasadena. I love the Diane salad. <laughs> love it. And uh, my dad says, hell, what's good on the menu? And I said, I really think you'd like the Karen's Club, Dad. Well, his girlfriend ordered the Diane salad because she liked what I ordered. Well, then my dad ordered the salad. And I said, Dad, I'm 41 years old. I have never seen you eat a salad. Yeah, I don't really like them. Well, why did you order it? So he orders the Diane salad. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Because the girlfriend got it, so he's got to do what the girlfriend likes, right? So he gets a Diane salad, and uh, he takes a couple bites, and my son, Pietro, says, Bubba, what do you think? And he's like, ah, I mean, shit, it's all right. It's all right. And I'm like, but remember, we told you that you didn't like salad. Well, shit, you know, sometimes, yeah. And it's just, I had to laugh, because in the past, I would have needed to fix it. I would have needed to go order him the Karen's Club and make, make a scene and cause a ruckus, because that's how I got attention, and that's who I was, and I'm just... It was like watching my family from above because I didn't join that three ring circus. I'm just accepting those people for who they are. And when my dad left, you know, he's 71 and I can tell he's slowing down, but my dad showed up for me when I had Pietro. They moved their entire life to California. And I may not have agreed with how he spent his evenings with alcohol, but he was the best grandpa that I could have ever asked for. And now he gets to go home and do it for my sister and my little nieces. And without these rooms and the sponsorship and working the steps, I would have never been able to look at that as a gift because I would have only focused on the bad, that he is still drinking. And so as... As I reflect, you know, today I was thinking, I'm like, I am lucky that I had him here for those 13 years because I got to experience him through my children's eyes and watch him do for them and my mom. My mom was amazing with my daughter. They took care of my children in a way that they did not know how to take care of me. 
and they showed up for my kids. And my daughter's 10, my mom died when Gianna was four, and my daughter will still say things like, oh, I just wish Mima were here to paint my nails, or if we could have pretzels and watch Sophia the First. And my four-year-old remembers that. And had I not taken a chance on this alcoholic woman to babysit my daughter, my daughter wouldn't have those memories. But people in AA said, just start with an hour. Let them just try an hour. Go hang out at the restaurant around the corner. And if something happens, they'll call you. And that hour turned into three hours. And then it was three hours, two times a week. And then it was five hours, three times a week. And then before it was like, my kids wanted to go there every Friday night and spend the night. And so I am lucky, even though my parents could not meet my needs. This program and my sobriety has given me a new outlook on life and given me new perception. It's like a fresh set of eyes on how I can perceive others in this world. And that to me is a gift. So even though I haven't been to jail yet, and what was the YET, what's that stand for? Yeah, that's great. Because I haven't had really any yet. But I've seen so many people who have. I've seen a drunk mother fall and hit her eye and go into a coma, small brain bleed and die. That's my experience with alcoholism. That could be me. And so it's very important to me, to my heart, to my soul that I stay connected to all of you people. Every single one of you, even though our stories are all different, they're the same. We have those, those no legs. We can't grow normal legs. And when we stand here together as a united group and we tell the truth and we clear the wreckage of our past and we share the truth because really the truth is good enough. It frees us from all of that, those sick thoughts that follow that feeling that leave us disappointed. And you get to stand up here or sit there and you're free. And I know some days are harder and I know some of us struggle. I mean, I struggle with food, guys. I get it. Like, I can't, the, the, the mental part of addiction is exhausting. And so people who struggle on a daily with alcohol and drugs, I have never had a bigger prayer for God to answer for all of the people that struggle on a daily basis with this. It breaks my heart. But I promise that if you keep keep doing what you're told to be doing and keep showing up and put everything you have into this where it talks about in the reading where if you have the willingness to show up here and put in the work this program will not fail you and the people here will give back what they have to give and it's all about the experience strength and hope that we rely on so we can stay connected into this inner circle and the more we think we can step out of it Alex like you talked about the closer we need to get to our recovery. Because the longer I feel, even though I have no urge to drink, the, the more sobriety I get, the stronger my mental part of my brain is like, oh, you may not need, oh, you may not need, no, I do. I probably need it now more than ever. Raising kids in this world is, is tough and this is my sanity. So for those of you that might be new or struggling, um, I would love to pray for you if you want to connect after this. Whatever I can do to help you on your journey, because those people that showed up for me at that Pitzer meeting and they're on until today, 
those are who've saved my life. You guys have raised me. You've shown up for me. And I am forever grateful to Bill and Lois for giving me this life. And the friendships that I've developed through, through AA, they're unlike anything else. They're real. They're authentic. There's no surface. It's this is my truth and you still love me through it. That's pretty amazing. But guess what? I get to love you through it too. So I don't know how much time. Okay, we're at 38 minutes. Um, I don't feel like there's a whole lot more, but um, I will tell you that in, um, you know, in my AA recovery in working the steps and, you know, showing up to different meetings, it was told to me in Al-Anon, but I applied it to AA as well. You know, go to different meetings, meet up with different people, see what, what's out there. And I used to attend a um, meeting in Newport Beach. It was at like a boathouse. Did you ever go there, Amber, with Diana? And I stepped out of my San Gabriel area to go down and connect with, and I absolutely loved what I experienced. Then I go to Iowa to see my sister, and I step into AA there. And I went to Europe, and I stepped into AA there. And I step into AA wherever I can. And what I love is that we are all the same. We have different stories, but we're all the same. The common denominator is we are here to stay sober. And this program will work if you allow it to work for you. And so I think that's, I just want to close with thank you, God, for allowing me to stand up here before you. I really am humbled, and I want to pray for all of you. Um, Les, I love you, my creator of the universe. I met Les in Al-Anon, gosh, 13 years ago. And um, I was instantly drawn to him because we have a lot of the same mindsets, and we've stayed connected over the years. And who would have thought I was, I don't know, 30, thir barely 30 hanging out with you. You had your white Mercedes and now I'm driving a white Mercedes and every time I get in it, I think of you. But that program gave me the friendship of you. Nowhere else would I be hanging out with this guy. So stick around, you guys. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. Thank you very much. I'm less alcoholic. Yes. Why don't we give Alexandra and Katie a hand for a good team. And uh, Carlo, you're the greatest. Food. All, everybody that brought food, we really appreciate it. Fernando. Uh, <clears throat> if you're interested in, in getting involved with this meeting, we have we need some help. You know, cleaning up after the meeting, and we need a. We're looking for a literature person, so if you want to come up and volunteer afterwards, that'd be great. And uh, uh, we want to thank everybody for bringing that food. Food that food is good. Thank you so much. Let's give everybody a hand. I'm your great. <clears throat> I'm your grapevine guy. Meeting in a print. Two years. 54 bucks, one year, 28.97. You can donate it to a recovery house or 
give it to a friend. You know, and what we do here is uh, <clears throat> I give out <clears throat> a couple, and you can read it and then bring it back, and we'll, we'll redistribute the stuff. So I got one up here I want to give out, and it's about the, si the, the sounds of silence. There's nothing like, I have to put myself in time out because sometimes this thing wants to take me on a vacation I don't need to go on, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I got this one here, Sound of Silence, really good. Someone want to come up and get it? Come on up and get it, come on. Come on. <clears throat> All right. You got it, thank you so much. Okay, now here's a good one. Hey, is there anybody out here that doesn't have a sponsor? Raise your hand. Okay, there's one right there. There's two. We got any more? Come on. You don't have a sponsor? Raise your hand. Okay, we got two. Is there anybody out here willing to be a sponsor? Raise your hand. Okay, you, you see all the guys and all the women? So you, you can go talk to somebody. Get somebody temporarily, because it's really important, you know. And I got this great find here, uh, sponsorship. It's got a lot of different stories about sponsorship. Somebody want it? Come on up and get it. Thanks so much. Up. <laughs> Thank you. When we're shot up, we show up. <laughs> AA will catch us. That's for sure. Here's a lady on a trapeze. Trapeze. La Tramp. Yeah, okay. <laughs> come on, someone come up and get the last one. I'll tell you what. Come on. David. Thanks, Les. Come here, wait a minute. Come on. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. My name's David. I'm an alcoholic. These are the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom, a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? Nope. I think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic who still suffers, will you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Um, wait. For the alcoholic who still suffers in and out of these rooms and innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Father, our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. He's coming back. Sponsorship, I have found it necessary to take a drink or a mood altering chemical since January 5th of 1971, and for that I'm extremely grateful. You know, I'm one of those that's blessed. I get to speak a lot of places and uh, go a lot of places, but I don't know that I've ever been more moved than to be asked to speak here. And Joe, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank Bob. I want to thank the committee. Uh, those of us who have been involved in big conventions, you have no idea of the work and dedication and frustration that goes on to put this on just so things could be convenient for you. But I also know by seeing this committee and what I've experienced it here that it was uh, out of love that they did it. Not only that, the members of Alcoholics Anonymous here, the city of Akron. I mean, I had a bus driver that said, Oh, heck, we can take you there, and went off route and brought me where I needed to go. Well, I've decided I'm moving here next week. <laughs> but everybody's just been delightful, and I, I am honored to be here, and I do love Alcoholics Anonymous, I do love God, and I love being sober, and I don't apologize for it. For a long time in AA, I felt like a, maybe I had to say something other than God, and Maybe I shouldn't be too happy sober or they'll come to expect it, you know? And the longer I'm sober, the more I realize that that's the gift that God has given me. And that's the gift that I want to cherish. I want to thank the signers. I, uh, I'm always moved when I see the signers. And uh, a lot of times when I, I see a speaker, uh, I'll watch the signers too because in that interpretation it's even more moving their dedication to do this, and their work, and I won't say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> I gotta look like, take that big villain, you gotta, 
Bring it on, bring it on. I want to thank my friend Bobby M. and his family from Cleveland. I've known Bobby for years, but we just met a month or two ago. And if you've been around AA, you know exactly what that means. It's talking about language of the heart. For those of you who don't know me, yes, I have trouble buying clothes, and the weather's fine up here, okay? Get all those out of the way. And uh, they threw in a new one here at Akron. I've never been asked how, I weighed, how much I weighed so much in my life, so... I'm going to have to incorporate that somehow, but it's always the same size person, usually saying the same two questions. And they're, uh, you know, first question is, how tall are you? I'm 6'10". And they go, oh, how tall are you? 6'10". Oh, do you play basketball? I go, no, how tall are you? And they go, 5'6". And I said, do you play miniature golf? Seems fair to me. And there's just a lot of people in this room and at this convention this weekend that I love with all my heart. And I would do anything on earth for them. Uh, because that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done to me. Alcoholics Anonymous is language of the heart. If it gets to be language of anything else, it's not Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, I came from a very elite group of people called White Trash, and, uh, you know, certain things were expected of us, and, uh, you know, when you got a position in the community, you got to deliver. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, my earliest emotion was, I didn't like anything. I didn't like you, but most of all, I didn't like me. And there was an unease about me from my earliest memories. And my earliest thoughts were, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I developed something from early on that took me a lot of years sober to quit doing. And I'll tell you what it is. I could walk into a room with 300 people, 299 could turn around to me and say, Ed, you're the best. We love you, man. One could turn around and go, jerk. Guess who got my full attention? Now here's the sick part. Not only did they get my full attention, but eventually in my life, the 299 didn't exist anymore. Just the ones. And I had a head full of ones at my earliest memory. I didn't like who I was, where I lived, what I did. And I hated it. So I was very grateful when alcohol came around at a very early age. My father was a heavy drinker. He's one of the hardest working men I've ever known. My mother always tells the time of when they were shoveling coal during the Depression and they were paying 25 cents a ton. And my dad come home after earning $18 in one day. I know what work ethic is. I know what dedication is. I know what commitment is. I also know what being raised in the house of an alcoholic is. And sometimes dad would drink too much and my mother was one of the first working women I've ever known. Uh, everybody else, her mom's got to stay home, and mom had to go to work to keep the house going. And she was an incredible woman. She, she, but she had a weakness. She believed in God. You know, well, it really was weak. You know, she, oh, let's pray about it. No, let's punch somebody. You know, I just, she just didn't get it. You know, and I remember she used to drag us seven little brats. I mean, seven children to church. And they'd set me in church, and, and 
If you've ever met a minister, they all have thin blue lips and talk like this. You're going to burn in hell, young man. That's what you're going to do. And I used to think, I've only been here an hour. How do you know? And, and they drag us to church, and, and, and there was some guy sitting up front. I remember him as clear as standing here today. And he's got his thin blue lips, and he's sitting there looking so solemn. And I thought, you know, I saw him in the bar last night. He was having a lot more fun. And I don't know who that is with him, but he seemed to be having a lot more fun there, too, you know. Now, I need to tell you that about my 299 to 1, because what I did for a lot of my adult life is take that as my example of organized religion. I forgot about the 299 behind them, who were probably wonderful people. But I had no place for goodness in my heart and in my head, and I didn't even know it. And the only thing that had calmed the madness in my heart and mind is a few drinks. And I don't know if it took it all away, but I'll tell you one thing, it made it so it didn't matter so much. I didn't mind wearing those hand-me-downs and fighting my way to school. People call me a pig and white trash and want to fight me. I couldn't figure out why. I'm just trying to get along. And I had a brother, older, one of my older brothers was mean. I mean, he never threatened anybody. You just heard gunshots when he was mad. And he had that reputation. He was a three-time loser. And guess what? I'm right behind him. He was a good 10 years sober before I didn't panic when I heard squealing tires coming up behind me. Because I knew it was time to prove it one more time. Something I didn't want to prove and something I didn't want to be a part of. But I was fighting for my life one day at a time long before I got here. I went to my first AA meeting when I was 10 years old. I've got a brother in South Carolina, sober 44 years. He's so sober we don't let people smoke around him anymore. He's so dry, you know. Just. And he's a wonderful guy, but he took me to my first AA meeting when I was 10, and I remember going in there, and there's some old guy up here, about 30, you know, going, my name's Fred, and I'm an alcoholic, and I thought, good for you, Fred, you know. If I ever get drunk and burn out, I may be here too. Well, I didn't know I was a prophet at that point. It was later on that it came apparent. But uh, I thought, hey, you know, and I share that story for one particular reason and one particular reason only. There are people in this room today including the speaker, who has sons or daughters or loved ones that are dying of this disease. And it's not that we don't try to carry the message, but we can't hear till we can hear and we can't see till we can see. But we got to keep carrying the message, no matter what. And for the next 10 years, I need to tell you, I didn't think much about the ANA. I didn't think, well, if I go to them meetings and walk up 12 golden steps, I'll be happy. You see, my problems were the same as yours. It was memories of what might have been, if onlys, if onlys were a biggie. When you got all that going on in your head, you need to calm it. Drinking was not my problem. Staying sober and all those voices in my head were the problem. I mean, it'd make me crazy. And then they started telling me, if you drink, you're going to die. And that's a vicious lie. I was counting on them. You see where you come from, I come from, dying's a break. It's a step up, especially if a cop takes you out. Then you're a hero. Don't threaten me with that. It's for a different reason today. But then it was a great, how soon and when? I'm tired. I remember coming to AA and there were some 
old timers said, you know, you're not even dry behind the ears. I spilled more than you ever drank. You haven't even been around the block. You know, when I got sober, I was 20 years old. I had a felony record as long as both arms. I'd been uh, married and divorced, termed psychotic, neurotic, insanely violent, hopelessly addicted to drugs, committed to the Iowa State Mental Institution, and had several warrants out for me, and they say, you haven't even been around the block yet. <laughs> and I thought, how big is this block? Because if it gets much bigger, somebody else is going to have to finish it up for me. And then they'd say stuff like, oh, I'm so glad you got here before you had to really hurt. <laughs> you know, would any of us here, would any of us here, if we had experienced cancer, go into a cancer patient's room who happened to be under 20 or 14 or 15, would we go into that room and say, I came closer to dying than you are? <laughs> Wouldn't that be cruel? What's the difference? How old do you have to be to die of this disease? January 5th of 1971, I got sober. I really didn't mean to. It wasn't in my day planner. I probably would have had a better time if I knew I was coming, you know, but I was in a wreck like I'd been in a wreck hundreds of times. Uh, laying in the middle of the street, and it was 18 below zero. And uh, I was pretending like I was knocked out. I'm not sure why. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and I heard the police came up, and they said, that's Mutum. Don't touch him. He's the scum of the earth. And you see, I'm a cop fighter. When I see a badge, I swing. If you're a crossing guard, I may punch you, you know. <laughs> and these, these guys came up and said that to me, you know what happened? An amazing thing happened, I agreed. I don't know why that night, that somehow it was perfectly clear that I wasn't there because of where or who raised me. I was there because of my own actions and a disease called alcoholism. And they ran me up into the hospital, and the next day a guy came up, made a 12-step call on me, a guy named Pat. Now, when you got a severe brain concussion and you're hungover, you don't want some guy coming into your hospital room smiling, saying, Hi, my name's Pat, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Push you into a depression right off the bat is what it does. But that's what he did. Half come in, and he talked to me. And he said, we, we don't drink and we don't use one day at a time, Ed. And I said, well, you know what? I... Uh, I'd like to do that, but I can't make it today. Now, why I decided to be honest that day, I'm not sure. But you see, when my gut, gut locked in, I had to go in spite of what I knew. When that compulsion hit, I had to go. Yes, I knew what it would do to my wife, ex-wife. I knew what it would do to my mother, but I had to go. And he said, well, all you have to do is try, Ed. And that's the only thing I've done consistently in Alcoholics Anonymous one day at a time since that day to this, is try. Some days I try real well. Some days just barely. But I try. Because this is not about my will, it's about God's grace. And I believe it's here for each and every one of us. We'll just keep our hands off the business. And that's tough, you know. 
That's tough. I remember going to A&A. And they said, well, you got to quit stealing. I thought, well, I'll cut down, just get enough to make ends meet. You know, you, you got to make a living. And they said, no, no, you got to stop that. But then they said something that was worse yet. They said, you got to start up being honest with who you are and where you've been. Well, man, I had no idea about that. You see, I didn't know the truth. I would lie when the truth would serve me better. That's when people take these steps in 30 days and say honest inventory. They obviously drank differently than I did. Now, I'm not taking anything away from that. It's just my experience that it was very important for me to get my brains out of hock. You know? Uh, the old timers used to tell me, ah, stick around 90 days, just get your brains out of hock. Don't think about anything. Some of the best information I ever had. And you know, a lot of people in AA say, oh, it doesn't matter what you say in A&A. Doesn't matter. They want to be here, they'll be here. Well, I beg to differ with that. I tell you, there was an old guy, Harry S., in Central Discussion. And when I got sober, well, first I got to tell you, when I got sober, they didn't have a lot of the goodies to make you feel better right away that they do now. I was a shaker, man. I just, how you doing? Ed? Oh, good. How are you? Yeah. Half cup for me, please, you know. <laughs> and it was bad. It was bad. I remember six weeks, six, eight weeks over when I wrote my name, and I couldn't read it. You couldn't, but I could. I remember that. And I had two rules. Don't come up behind me. And don't touch me. Two rules. And little Harry had poured coffee in a group in Davenport called Central Discussion, Davenport, Iowa. And Harry had a habit, he was the coffee pourer. He'd come around to the table during the meetings, and Harry had a habit, and he'd put his hand right here on my shoulder. And he'd pour my coffee, and for some reason, everything was okay for a minute. I didn't get it, but I could breathe deeply. The, the voices stopped, the war in my gut stopped, everything stopped, and Harry'd pour my coffee. And he poured slow. And then he'd go and I'd drink my coffee just as fast as I could. How can I tell Harry? Harry, how'd you know I needed the human touch? I just needed somebody to touch me without wanting something or me thinking they want something. Just to be touched in a kind way. Harry saved my life. My only regret is I never told Harry. Harry, thanks for pouring coffee. Thanks for touching my heart. And there was another guy, Jimmy, out in California, Jim R., from Malibu. And Jimmy used to talk like this. He was from Malibu, but he was from Texas originally. He used to talk like this. He was a rat fire guy. He kind of gave you three talks in one. You know what I mean? And he'd be talking. He said, he said one time I asked for some psychologist why I rub my hands like this when I talk. He told me I smacked him right in the mouth. That's what I did. <laughs> and that was Jimmy. And uh, I loved Liz last night when she talked about depression, sober. Uh, I'm one of those who are hexed with working the steps and it seems to help me through it. I know that upsets people. Pray for me. And, uh, I was in one of those deep, dark depressions, those dark, dark places where it didn't make any sense. And I just, my plan was to go and uh, turn on the gas and just go to sleep. No, no notes, no dramatics, no calls for help. You see, at that time I was sober a few years, and I knew one thing, AA was good for you, but the magic and the music wasn't alive in me. And I knew you guys could make it, but I also absolutely knew I couldn't. 
You know, I was coming to meetings and people would say, how you doing? I'd say, fine, how are you? Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> and I was looking at bridge abutments as I was going home thinking I could drive into that and that would be okay. Because I really don't want to drink or use. And I was in one of those moods and it was a dark, dark spot. And I walked into that club on 26th and Broadway with my friend Wayne and I, when I'm out there, go to a meeting. And I walked in and Jimmy was always seemed to be there on that day. Now, I don't know if Jim said this to everybody, but it really doesn't matter. I'd walk by Jim, and I'd say, Jim, how are you? And it was like the world stopped. And it felt like Jim took my face in his hands like this. He didn't, but that's how it felt. But he stopped and looked me right in the eye. When I said, Jim, how you doing? He looked back, and he'd say, much better for seeing you today, my friend. Much better for seeing you. And you know what I thought? Well, if Jimmy likes me, maybe I won't turn on the gas today. Because we do this one day at a time. I don't care how long you're sober. If you're not doing it a day at a time, you're not doing it. It's a day at a time. I started going to meetings on a regular basis, and they started, brought up that three-letter word that annoys all of us, job. <laughs> and <laughs> I tried to work my way around that pretty quick. And then they brought up that other word, God. And I'll tell you, in the book it talks about being violently anti-religious, and that's where I was. For several years sober, I used to say I was an atheist or an agnostic, and I've realized in the last few years that really wasn't true. What's true is everything I knew about God, I hated. Don't even bring it up around me, or we're going to dance. It's that simple. Because if there's a God, why are there starving children everywhere? If there's a God, why is cancer rampant? If there's a God, why do I have to live in that hellhole? Don't even bring it to me. And then I'm going to AA, and they said, well, you know, if you're going to have any sobriety on a continued basis, you've got to have a relationship with a power greater than yourself. And you know, when you look into an old-timer's eyes, you'll know whether they're telling the truth or doing a little song and dance for you. Check them out. They're here. But then they give me the good news. They said, you can make up your own God. And I said, cool. <laughs> and I came up with a good orderly direction. That's good. I'm sure I heard it somewhere, but everything's original when we come up with it. Yeah. And then the other one that touched me a lot was good others do. Good others do because people were being very kind to me, and I couldn't figure out why. I remember sitting in the meeting about three months sober, and I nudged this guy, and I said, what do these people want from me? He looked back and said, what do you got that anybody'd want? You know? <laughs> Never quite thought of it that way, you know. I... <laughs> but it was amazing. I, uh, I, uh, I would go to meetings, and they'd talk about God, and, and what I came up with is if I had all my dreams, God would be kind and loving and forgiving. That would be my God, kind and loving and forgiving. You know, I brought that up, and they didn't seem upset about it at all. You know? Another original idea that someone else has taken on, you know. But it was a concept. I had run into a group of people who didn't care where I'd been or what I had done. The thing I love about Alcoholics Anonymous as much as anything is we all have hearts here, but we have no faces. We all have hearts here, but we have no jobs. We all have hearts here, but we're not different people. We're all one. We're all God's kids. And I've never been in a place like that before.
But as a result of that, I did something that almost cost me my sobriety. I started professing a faith I didn't have. You know, it's easy to talk about. We all done it. Talk in that program, you know, you get that eight, nine, ten months, a year, you know, all of a sudden you know everything and everybody else has been dumb till you got here. And uh, that's kind of kind of the way I was. And, uh, but I started professing a faith I didn't have. I heard these old-timers talk about God and the program and what working these steps had done in their life, and I could see they were telling the truth, so I started parroting what they said. No harm in that. Is there? Only one. If you don't have a faith when you need it, you won't have a faith. You'll have other people's words. I was sober a little over a year, and my father asked me to come over for dinner. Now, that may not be unusual for you, but it's terribly unusual for me. Because when Dad asks me over for supper, I'm in trouble. And I just, like I said, just had a year sober, and I'd been hanging around A&A, going to meetings and keeping busy. Uh, sponsorship wasn't strong in our area then, uh, so it was kind of winging it and uh, talk about God's grace. And uh, uh, I just did the best I could. And when I would go to meetings, they say, suit up and show up, bring a new attitude into old situations. Well. I hadn't been to mom and dad's house for dinner since I'd been sober, and I can't go into that old situation with my head the same. Now theirs may be, because they're going to remember me the way I was last time they saw me. They can't remember me any other way. That's their reference, just like our references, especially if you collect ones, like my family tended to do. But I showed up for that meal, and I went in there, and about halfway through dinner, dad said, boy, and I thought, oh, here it comes. He said, just wanted to tell you I'm proud of you. And I'll tell you something. Walking into the dinner that night, if you had hooked a lie detector to me and asked me if I cared what that old man thought about me, I would have said no, and the lie detector would have said true. And when he told me how proud I was, it was another instance in Alcoholics Anonymous. By the grace of God, I found out how wrong I'd really been. That him looking at me with the pride of a father saying he was proud of me was more than I'd ever wished for. You see, when I got sober, they said, wish for things. That wouldn't even made the list. It's too impossible. And I went to a meeting, and later that night, my mother called me, and she was crying and hysterical and said, Ed, come home quick. And I said, what's wrong, Mom? She said, uh, Dad went across the street to get himself a beer and me a bottle of pop, and now they're carrying bodies out. I don't know what's going on. And it was one of those nights, you ever have those ice storms where a quarter inch ice and everything out here? It was a bad night, and I was driving across thinking, well, I'm in A&A now, and I know God. Nothing bad can happen to me. And as I drove up to that old drinking spot where I'd spent many a night, I saw more policemen than I'd ever seen, ever. It's funny how those cops had shaped up that year I was sober. If you're new, a little clue I had no idea of, if you don't hit them, they usually won't lock you up. <laughs> Just thought I'd pass that on. It isn't in the big book, but it's helpful, you know. <laughs> and I had been working in the courts that past year with people with alcohol and drug problems. And I walked in, and there was, like I said, officers everywhere. And I looked down the bar, and I saw that pool of blood with my father's glasses all mangled up in it. And I kind of knew it wasn't good news. And the officer said, Ed, what are you doing here? And I said, my dad was in here. What's going on? He said, oh, my God, Ed. He said, we don't know. All we know is somebody came in the bar and opened fire, shot everybody. And I got in my car, and I went up to the hospital. 
And there was a lieutenant up there who hadn't forgotten my past. And he was very unkind, very vulgar. And he said, what are you doing up here? And I told him, and he said, I've already identified everybody. Get you behind out of here before we bust you. And an AA miracle happened because I just left. You see, he'd given me freedom. A year and a half before that, I would have had to make him remember who I was. Don't you ever talk to me that way. But I said, okay, and I left. I went home, and we searched the streets for eight hours called the officer that spent the last five years of my drinking trying to put me away. And he fed me information because he knew I was sober by the example you taught me to set, by suiting up and showing up, by acting better than I do feel, that AA isn't a place where we come and display our character defects. This is a place where we come and change. And we got to take the change out there. You know, too often we get it mixed up. We come to AA and act like we're doing just fine and we're goofy out there. This is the place to be goofy. <laughs> Find the answers so we can be better out there. Because if you're fortunate, you're going to find somebody who knows what it is to be goofy and get sober. And to work through difficulty sober. We searched the streets for eight hours looking for my father. They thought they'd taken him hostage or uh, he got shot and wandered out somewhere. And I'd always pray that you wouldn't know that kind of sadness and that kind of mayhem. And then September 11th happened, and everybody knows now. If you didn't before, you did then. And there's still people up there in that city that I pray for every day that will never find their dad. Early the next morning, I got a call from the hospital from that, uh, that officer and said, well, Ed, anybody could have made a mistake. Why don't you come up and identify your old man? So I got in my car, and I went up there, and I walked into that morgue, and I saw that bullet hole in my father's faith, and I reached for that faith I'd been, father's face, and I reached for that faith I'd been professing all those years, or that year, and come up with a handful of nothing. It was just empty. There's a reason it says our experience, strength, and hope. And I sat there in that morgue, and it was one of the coldest feelings I'd ever had in my life. My first thought, quite honestly, was that God I'd been taught about when I was a kid. Your family's going to pay for what you do. Every sin you do comes back on your family. And I thought, God killed Dad. When I was 10 years old, I had a beautiful cousin, and her name was Linda. And if there was anybody close to God, I would think it would be Linda. And Linda was walking across the street one day, and a truck hit her and killed her, knocked her 200 yards. It was just sad. You know what people said to me? God must have wanted an angel. I said, oh, so he hit you with the truck. I'll pass on that, God. Thank you very much. So that's where I went back to immediately, thinking this kind of stuff, and it was hard. I hadn't had that knot in my gut for some time. But I'll tell you, I've had reason to review that situation. I can tell you this. Everywhere I went, there was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous right there. Right there. And any of us who've ever been through difficulty sober, has experienced if you've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for more than six seconds. 
We know how to love here. We take care of our own here. We don't even care if your insurance covers it. Not to be mean or anything. No, I'm not, uh, but that's, you know, one of the things that uh, concerns me about AA today, and especially being here at Founders Day, is we're forgetting what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. That's about shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, whatever you're going through, we're going through, and we will make it out the other side one day at a time by God's grace. There's too many people going too many different directions because they want to be terminally unique for one particular reason or the other, and I'm not for it. I get the chance to talk in prisons a lot, and uh, when I talk in prisons, I always start my talk off by telling them I'm a racist. Gets everybody's attention immediately, <laughs> especially with a lot of the prisons I go to. And I say I'm a human racist. I'm for the human race. I'm for you, man. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, or anything else. And anybody else is not for that, I'm not for them. It's all about you and me walking hand in hand and going places we've never dreamed of and having the courage to believe that. The priest that did my father's funeral gave me one of the keys to the kingdom. He said, you know, a lot of people would say Clifford's death is God's will. He said, I don't believe that. And I sat right up in the chair. He said, God created human beings. He gave them all a free will. Some of those human beings chose to do this act, and now it's God's will. And I said to myself, you mean the reason there's kids starving is because we're not feeding them? We got plenty of food. Can't blame it on God anymore? That's right. The reason cancer is rampant, we want to say, why is God doing this? We're the one polluting everything we touch. Don't blame it on God. Because I believe this today with all my heart. If it isn't good, it isn't God, period. If it isn't good, it isn't God. I was called to testify at that murder trial, and I remember sitting in that courtroom, sitting across from that guy, and he thought he was pretty tough, you know. Uh, Gangbangers usually do. And I thought, you know, give me five minutes with him. We'll see how tough he is. In fact, bring all five of the guys in. We'll see how tough all of them are. But you know what? I'd hung around you too long. You said the way I behave is important, that I need to set an example, that I might be the only example of Alcoholics Anonymous anybody ever sees. So what I did is I went in and I testified in court and I simply answered the questions they asked me and I left. And I left. There was one time in there, if you've ever had anybody murdered and you come up from where I come up with, you got to deal with the murder thing. you got to deal with the homicide and the eye for the eye and, the, and that pull that, that's, that's strong. That's strong. That's what, I, whatever, what everybody always told me. And then this thing of live and let live in AA, and it's tough. And I sat down to talk to a few people about it, and they got up and walked away. said, I thought you had a good program. Let me tell you something. If you can talk about that crap sober, you're working a hell of a program. And you need to be here and walk through it. I left there, and shortly after that, God talked to me. Now, you got to be careful when God talks to you. 
I got a few other friends God talked to. They'll be out in about another 20. But God talked to me and said, Ed, go out to California, get into show business. Made perfect sense to me. So I quit my job, loaded my car. 48 hours later, it was where all stars get their start, Anaheim, California. I got a job at Disneyland. I was goofy. <laughs> Little did they know how well I fit the role at that point. Don't step on goofy shoes. <laughs> no, no. But uh, <laughs> I was goofy. But I didn't actually start that job. Uh, I went up to a meeting in West L.A., and uh, I, I was around uh, 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 Alcoholics Anonymous that I'd never been around, and this is not to take away from the Alcoholics Anonymous I was around. This was an Alcoholics Anonymous that was enthusiastic, enthusiastic. People that were doing things were out of their own head, not sitting back and going, well, I'll do just enough to get by, you know? And I'm used to, you know, once a year you flip Fred a chip, and he goes on home, you know, happy birthday, Fred, see you next year. <laughs> And I'm in this place where people talking about living and talking about helping one another, really talking about setting up with people, talking about taking them to meetings even when it's inconvenient. And it just amazed me. And there was this guy standing there, and I said, excuse me, would you be my sponsor? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, anybody I sponsor has to look up to me. <laughs> I thought, good, tall jokes, that's what I need, you know. A few minutes later, he shook my hand and said, you agreed to do a few things. I'll be your sponsor. My name's Clancy. And I am forever grateful I didn't hear half the crap that goes around about him. I'll tell you why. I would have believed you, and I would have died. You're that important to me as members of AA. I would have believed you and I would have died. Because for some reason, just like Bill could talk to Bob, Clancy could talk to me. Now, no comparison as far as stature, but I mean, he's the one that made sense to me. And I make it my business not to put down any individual or group in Alcoholics Anonymous. I may not like them, but who cares? I want you to have the dignity of your own choice. I want you to have the ability to go and do what you need to do. And yes, my door is always open. But I want you to go there knowing that there's no hierarchy in AA that way. That the minute you think you can work somebody else's program, especially somebody who's helped more people by accident than you have on purpose, you might want to look at the humility section in Alcoholics Anonymous. It was funny, I was uh, speaking down south a while back and there was some old-timer with 40 years and he was just bad-rapping Bill Wilson. Just bad -rapping. He was an egomaniac. And I had a chance to talk to him afterwards and I said, well, what happened? He said, well, he didn't answer my question when he walked by. Think about it. Bad-rapping a guy. You know what impresses me? We drove here today, drove by the Mayflower Hotel, right? Are you going to go see that? You're going to see it? The, you know what the Mayflower Hotel is, right? It's where Bill dropped that nickel and called Bob. Do you understand that every one of us lives were in his hand in that decision? If he'd walked the other way, if he hadn't dropped the nickel, we wouldn't be here.
So even if it isn't convenient, we need the help. Uh, I started working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. He told me to read the book and read the black and white. Nothing in between. And that annoyed me. And he said, you can't go to discussion meetings. And I said, why? He said, because you won't listen. He said, first half of the meeting, you'll be thinking about what you're going to say. Then it'll get to you and you'll talk and you'll spend the rest of the meeting thinking about what you should have said. <laughs> How did he know? <laughs> so for years, I didn't go to discussion meetings. And you know what he did, that mean old man? Made me one of the better listeners I know. You see, just because I'm up here talking right now don't mean in five minutes when we're talking that what you're saying to me isn't equally important. We're all here for one another. I remember uh, he told me I had to act better than I think. He told me they don't lock you up for how you think, they lock you up for how you act. I don't care what you think, watch how you act. And at that time, I got a job as a bellhop down in Santa Monica, and I had a nice little coat that fit real well and a little hat, and I'd sit there from 11 to 7, and the little old ladies would drop their bag on my foot. And they'd come in and say, pick up that bag, boy, and I'd think, which one? You were it. <laughs> but what I'd do is say, yes, ma'am. And I'd go upstairs, seventh floor, I'd put that bag in the room, flip it open, go to the doorway for my tip, she slammed the door like to break my fingers. I'm thinking, I'm going to kick in the door, grab this old broad drawer, out the window and watch her splatter. But what I did is said, thank you, and I went downstairs. Now, that may not mean much to you, but I'll tell you what it means to me. It's called freedom from the bondage of self. I never knew. You see, if I thought it, I thought it was the truth. I never knew that I could do different than what I think. Now, that may sound crazy to you, but it was a gift to me. I can sum up sponsorship by one quick story. I'm living in Clancy's garage, and I'm in the back bathroom out there and uh, shaving one day. And he's walking by, and he says, what are you doing? I said, shaving. He said, came in, and he said, well, turn on the hot water. I said, well, okay, turn on the hot water. He said, get it nice and hot. He said, now put that on your beard. I thought, oh, okay. He said, now reach up there and find some shave lotion. That Put that on. Okay, he said, rub it in real good. Let it set for a second. Yeah, yeah. He said, now shave. And I went, oh, yeah, pretty cool. You see, I learned to shave in Scott County Jail at 13 years old. And at 13 years old, you don't ask anybody how you shave. You just pick up the straight razor and shave. Or you're not, you're not the straight razor, the old Gillette's and shave. And I've been doing that for 10 years. He taught me a new way to shave. He didn't break me all up because I didn't know how to shave. He didn't go, dummy. Well, sometimes he did, but not often. <laughs> and, and the description was accurate, I might say. But uh, that he, he, he helped me be a better who I wanted to be. He told me to look people in the eye and talk to them. He taught me things like never be late for an AA commitment, ever. And I, I remember one time... Uh, I was supposed to go with him somewhere at, at 6.30, and I got there at 6.31, and all I smelled was exhaust fumes, you know. I thought, well, that's kind of odd. And I called him the next day. I said, where were you? He said, you weren't there at 6.30. And I said, well, I got there at 6.31. He said, what if I was a newcomer? Didn't want to go to AA anyway. And they said, see, they didn't even show up. He said, when you tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. It's called integrity.
I remember going to a meeting in Pasadena, California. I was going to speak, and I had to start all over with God. And what I recommend you, if you're not happy with your God, start fresh. Start new. Don't profess a faith you don't have. If your life can't depend on it, don't be lying. It's okay. My first honest prayer ever was, God, I don't know if you're there or not. I sure hope so. It was truth. I didn't know. God, I wanted, it was a nice idea. But I didn't know. And I'd started all over with God. I was going to Pasadena. Pasadena out in L.A. was a wealthy area, is a wealthy area. And I thought, ooh, wealthy area, I might get a job. And I caught myself immediately. Because you don't hustle in AA. If you do, you'll pay. Period. And um, I did the same thing I did in the hotel before I left to come over here. I got down on my knees and I said, God, just let me go and share the miracle you performed in my life through Alcoholics Anonymous and save me from my own nonsense. I don't need anything. I don't want anything from these people. I've been overpaid. And I went and talked, and I talked, and I got done talking, and a guy came up to me afterwards and said, uh, this makes no sense to me. We won't offer you a job. I said, it makes perfect sense to me. Go ahead. You know? <laughs> he said, have you ever been in Taiwan? I said, no. He said, have you ever been in show business management? I said, no. He said, be in my office Monday morning. Monday morning, I went into his office, met with this guy. Thursday, I was lifting out of LAX on China Airlines. I was headed to Taipei, Taiwan. I was the new soon-to-be vice president of America on Ice. I had a cast of 62. I was going over to design costumes and build a, a, an ice rink and arrange living situations while flying back and forth to Hong Kong with designer Bill Campbell to build the costumes. How was your week? <laughs> now, you know what's amazing about that to me? I showed up for the interview. Somewhere along the line, you told me to quit carrying the bag of ones. All my life, people said, you have so much potential. And I went, yeah. I'm here to tell you, they've been right, you've been wrong. I showed up for the interview. I had no qualifications for that job whatsoever except by God's grace, and I decided to walk toward it. And I got off the plane in Taipei, and everybody's this tall. <laughs> and they're looking at me like I'm looking at them, you know? And I know it's just a matter of time before they pull that rope out and tie me down. <laughs> and it was a wonderful time that I don't have time to go into, but uh, uh, God put me in that situation to do one thing. Show me the gifts I've really got. Because I wouldn't believe them. You tried to tell me. I wouldn't believe anybody until I saw them. Then I couldn't argue anymore. And if you're in AA, if you're new or if you've been here a while and you're in that rut, take time to let God show you what he's really got inside of you. My old friend Chuck C. used to tell me, Eddie, what you came here looking for, you're looking with. And I know that more today than ever before. Alcoholics Anonymous has done a miracle in my life. The miracle is simply this. I am enough today. My God and my program is enough. I always needed more, no longer. This is enough. Was over there a few months, guy walked by me and said, you know, you'd be an excellent manager for the Harlem Globetrotters. And I went, yeah, sure. 
And I was home three months, and the Globetrotters called me up and said, Mr. Mutum, we've heard wonderful things about you. Would you come and talk to us? And I said, certainly. And I suited up, and I showed up. Didn't bring my bag of ones. Next thing I knew, I was the manager of the Harlem Globetrotters. Believe me, I don't tell you that out of ego. I tell you that out of God's grace. Because there is no logic on earth that I know of that can get me laying in the middle of the street in Six and Leclerc in Davenport, Iowa, to manager the Harlem Globetrotters with a seventh grade education, other than God. <laughs> I got on the bus, and there's Metalark Lemon, there's Curly Neal. I'm thinking, cool, I got all the money. Don't get much better than this. <laughs> I was wrong. But it was good. I remember nobody talked to me for 30 days. Nobody. And I knew to do one thing. Do a good job. Be who you are, Eddie. And I remember the day Metalark leaned over to me and talked to me. And then everybody talked to me. I understood. And I agreed. And that's how you taught me to live today. To do what the difficult things are. Not take the easier, softer way. But to try to get to thinking of how other people feel other than my own head. I uh, went to London, met the daughter of the Turkish ambassador. She was Muslim. She was wealthy. She was beautiful. I thought, well, backgrounds are a lot alike, so we got married. <laughs> I didn't say all sanity had returned. I and we just should not have gotten married. And I don't mean that as an insult to her or me. It just, we, we should not have gotten married. We have three wonderful children, and I thank God for them. But that marriage should not have happened, and I don't make excuses for it anymore. She didn't understand Alcoholics Anonymous, and she didn't understand my commitment to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I respect her for that. However, I disagree. <laughs> and uh, when I was 18 years sober, I lost everything I owned. I made decisions based on self and greed, and 18 years sober, they came and they really got personal. They even picked up the Mercedes. You know? And I realized something that happened that I didn't even know happened, and that was simply this, that things outside of my God became my God, without me knowing. It was who I'd worked for and who I'd become and what I have done, I'll tell you something quite honestly. I wouldn't even tell you the story about the Globetrotters except for one thing. My sponsor has directed me to share it. To show you the miracle that can happen in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's been a long time ago and it's a wonderful time. And I still have some wonderful friends as a result of that. But I share it so you know that if that can happen to me, whatever your dream is can happen to you. Dare to dream again. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. To me, it isn't just about getting sober. Yeah, I've been sober. It's about wanting to be sober, enjoying to be sober, and helping other people to get sober. And thanking God instead of thinking we got anything to do with it, you know? I, uh, I was sitting at home one day, and God said, Ed, go out and get an education. And I did what any well-respecting member of AA would do. I went, la, 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 la. 
He called right back. He didn't care. And I, I and I, <laughs> I, I had quit smoking at the time, and the doctor told me to start running, so I had, and I broke my leg. So I got on my crutches, and I did what you do after you're sober for an Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and it says in the big book, especially 86, 87, 88, where we will be inspired, and that means God talks to us. However, keep your sponsor as a decipher, because at times of war, <laughs> times of war, we tend to write our own messages, you know. But I got my crutches, and I went over to the university, and I said, excuse me, I'd like to go to school. And they said, how many credits do you have? I said, I have bad credits. What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> and they laughed, too, and I said, uh, I shared with them a gift you've given me. I said, you don't seem to understand. I don't know anything about going to school. I don't know if I'm smart enough to pass a class. I quit school. They booted me out of school in seventh grade, and I didn't pay any attention three years before that. But if you could help me, I'd like to try. And nobody has ever refused me when I've asked honestly. What I've learned, Alcoholics Anonymous taught me about 299s. And for every member that you got that you got a little annoying with, there's 299 beautiful ones right behind them, you know? And that's with the world out there, too, if we can pull our head out of where it don't belong and take a look. I, uh, I started going to school, and I went on a, a, a spiritual retreat, and I had a spiritual awakening. I had a, a spiritual experience that uh, changed my heart and finished the job that you had started, changing my heart and changing my mind. God said, I want you to work for me. And I thought, man, you know who you're calling? And he said, yep. Because you know something about my God, it's very simple. I used to think God had a big old book, and every time I did something wrong, he wrote it down. By the time I got to AA, even though I was young, the book was pretty good size. You know the God I believe in? I walked in, God said, hey, is this your book? And I said, yep, that's my book. He said, okay. Ripped it up and said, go and start fresh. You taught me that here. You called it one day at a time. It talks in our big book about being reborn. I take it literally. Every single day when I get up and take a shower, I wash away the sins of the world. I start fresh. I wash away the best of my ability, the resentments of yesterday, the fears of yesterday, the angers of yesterday, because I don't need it anymore. All that does is keep me between me and God. And if I'm with God, I'm with everybody in here, whether I like you or not. I love you. And I didn't understand that for a long time. How do you love everybody? I remember there was one guy in a meeting that I thought, you know, five minutes in the parking lot, I could help him find God. <laughs> and I was driving home thinking, that's not very spiritual, Ed. <laughs> and you're supposed to love everybody. How can you do that? And I realized, you know, if he called me at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, Ed, I think I'm going to drink, you know where I'd be? Right there. You see, I loved him. I just didn't like his behavior much. There's a big difference. I uh, got called into the ministry, and uh, they said, you got to go get 220 hours worth of college credit. And I said, okay. So I did it, and I took each and every one. I didn't take any easy ways out. I did it because if I was going to get a degree, it's because I wanted I always thought education was overrated, and after 220 hours of uh, college and graduate studies, I can tell you it definitely is. But the thing about it was, that's what they needed, so I did it. 
and I got my Masters of Divinity, and I became ordained, and I never missed a day in Alcoholics Anonymous. Never let us forget that this is the place where the doctors, the psychiatrists, and the clergy come to get sober. This is where God is. He's certainly in those houses of worship, whatever it may be. And I, I celebrate whatever your faith is. Your faith doesn't threaten me, and I hope mine doesn't threaten you. I celebrate it. In fact, let's talk about it, and let's see what we can share about it. Because in Alcoholics Anonymous, you taught me yours is just as good and better, I hope, because I can learn from you. I was preaching on forgiveness about three years ago, and I was giving them heaven because they've had enough of hell. I try not to have thin blue lips, and I try not to go like this. And I'm preaching on this forgiveness, and I stop right in the middle of my talk, and I realize, you know, I hadn't forgiven the guys that killed my father. Well, I'd forgiven them, but I hadn't told them. Well, what's that? That's chump change is what that is. That's half a step. It's going to them and making amends. Just because I did it in my head doesn't mean anything. And I stopped and I said, I make a covenant with you that I'll go and I'll seek these people out. And I will make sure they know they're forgiven. And I won't preach on forgiveness till I do. Two and a half weeks later, one of the guy's sentence was overturned. I didn't even know he had an appeal. How good does AA work? Honest to God, I couldn't remember their names. I couldn't remember the names of the guys who murdered my father. Couldn't. This works. And the press came to me and they said, uh, they told return the sentence. They said, retry him or let him go right now. What do you want us to do? Or what do you think they should do? And I said, it's time to heal. It's time to start fresh. And they said, he's been in there since he's 17. He doesn't know how to work. How's he going to live? How's he going to support himself? I said, he can come live with me if he wants. And people were taken back by that. Well, you let me in your house. I knew what I was capable of. How dare I not open my home to him? And as God would have it, a few weeks later, I was able to walk down that prison I swore I'd never go back into because my brother spent a lot of time there. And I knew I was going to be dead rather than go there. And I'm walking down that hall and I walk into a room and I see a man I haven't seen in 28 years. The last time I saw him, he was sitting in a courtroom and I wanted five minutes with him. And I stuck out my hand and I said, Sherman, my name's Reverend Ed Mutum. And I'm here to tell you that I forgive you and I love you and that God loves you. And if there's anything in my life I can do, if there's anything I can do, anything ever in my life I can do to make your life better, let me give it to you. And Sherman looked in my eyes, and he saw the eyes of an old-timer. He didn't quite get it, but he knew I was telling the truth. No more axes to grind. It's time to heal. And we stayed two and a half hours, and we ended with a prayer. And they decided to retry him, and I went down to the county attorney, and I asked for mercy for my friend, because we had become friends. I didn't expect that. It wasn't even a thought. I just needed to know I needed to tell him. And I went down to that county attorney, and because of how you've taught me to act in his courtrooms and in Alcoholics Anonymous and in Essence in Society, he agreed to let him plead to a lesser charge and let him come home instead of spend the rest of his life in prison. About a year and a half ago, I got to go to prison, and they'd only release him to my custody. And I picked my friend up, and I had to tell him, it's okay for you to open that door now. You can do it. And I went and waited. 
ordered a meal in a restaurant. He didn't know how to order. It was just hold out the tray. And I went and I bought him clothes, as you had bought me clothes. And we figured out his size, because I didn't know mine either, just because I was too big and I could never afford the right size. And I got to give my friend what you had given me, unconditional love. And he goofed up, and he went back. And my heart was broken, but we all know Gin Alcoholics Anonymous, just like lifers, it's tough out here, man. You know, he ain't an alcoholic. He isn't all this. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. When people started shooting, he paid 30 years of his life for it. And we whined because we get laid off. And he called me a couple months ago. I hadn't talked to him in a few months. And he said, in March, I'm coming home. And he said, I want to apologize to you, and I want to talk to you about uh, maybe you could help me find a place to live. And I said, Sherman, I because when he came home the first time, he was in a halfway house. I said, you can come live with me. I told you that. So I went and I picked my friend up again. And he's discharged this time. There's no heat on him. And I don't know if he's going to make it or not. I'm doing a good job of letting him do what he's got to do. He don't owe me nothing. You see, I'm just paying back what you've given me. But I'd ask you to remember my friend Sherman in your prayers because he's a good man. He's a bright Here I share for 10 minutes. Uh, somebody sign? Yeah, we'll take it. Good morning, Michael. Please. Uh, my name is Tarafa, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Tarafa. You know me if you don't say your, my name. They don't know my family members, so we get that clear. Once I'm an alcoholic, I'm home. So I'm grateful I get to be sober today, most importantly. Grateful to be part of the meeting. Grateful I get time with my sponsor. I can't give him a fortune. Uh, Lisa, really happy to see you. I'm happy to be here. Because I sit here, that was not the idea when I came in, but nothing makes me happy more than alcoholics arms. I promise you that. I have nothing else to count on. Some say this is a crisis or something, you know, like something of something we depend on. I have no excuse or apology for that. I depend on alcoholics anonymous. If I don't depend on alcoholics anonymous, I'll be dependent on something else. That'd be somebody else's validation, somebody else's admiration, somebody else's approval. So there's nobody inside you. Because of our personality, I get to feel like a human being. And John um, sponsored a man named Scott Redman, who sponsored me. Says the greatest achievements you can have in Alcoholics Anonymous is to be a human being and a child of God. That's a very comfortable place to be. Um, it's not even convenient for me to come here. Especially, I asked him that if I just if he's going to speak somewhere. He's been doing it for quite a while. He says yesterday a request, and that we get to pass on and we get to learn from each other. Congratulations on your chip. 
And congratulations to the young lady who took a kid. Um, I too have no no other means of staying sober than staying close to the Alcoholics Anonymous, imitate the people who went before me. Winners include for me a newcomer, somebody hurt and struggling to stay sober. Not people who learn and accomplish. It excludes nobody. Just like um, the second tradition says for our group purpose, there is one authority, a loving guide that makes presence in our group consciousness. It includes an atheist, agnostic, where we come from, what we look like, none of it matters. That I'm an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic, you are you're part of my half hour to keep me sober. In my name is Steve Borner when I came to Rapper Clubhouse uh, in early sobriety, he said an alcoholic synonymous one and one is three. Sounded weedy, but I didn't get it. Apparently that came from the biblical term, whatever two or more gods are. And now that connects to the way our founder made the bill, couldn't do it by himself, so he seek God. But now there are millions of us all over the world. If you've been new, I promise you sobriety is absolutely doable. There is a non-negotiable way about it that we got to do it together. I'm grateful that I don't take pride for it. I'm grateful with every fiber of my body. Not because of the length of the time, because sobriety has been possible. The most important thing is today. But God and Alcoholics Anonymous for a quitter like me made it possible to stay with you guys and do what you do. And tell you the truth, don't drink at night, don't drink away from you, because you gave me that energy, you gave me away from you, I'll, I'll be thinking about you, I'll be reflecting your experience, I'll be remembering your compassion, I come back for this, because they, you made the showing, the showing up easier for me than anything else in life. That's impossible a day at a time, so our success is not mine, since November 22nd, 1988. A little bit 33 and a half years ago. And I've known Dan all that time. Um, he, he asked me to come to me. Uh, actually, he, I'm one of those guys that wasn't lost a lot of in life, that I didn't have a lot except me, myself, and I stories of drinking in nightclubs and tried to present myself to somebody. And don't you know who I am, but I look in the mirror and who, who the hell am I? Is that my thing? When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, that the realities I didn't face, they came by and I ended up giving up the apartment because I didn't pay rent for quite a while. The landlord said, if I didn't love you like my son and if I didn't, you know, you wouldn't have to be stuck with five months rent. Would you give my place or you want to go to court? next three more months, and by this time it's been about 30 days of sobriety. I've been taken to Alcoholics Anonymous, and apparently injected a little bit of integrity in me, I said, you know, he's right. So I gave up the place, put my clothes in a storage, slept in a car, and um, sometimes couch, you know, couch from couch, so, but there was more freedom in that than having X amount of dollars in the banks and doing the nightclubs and not sleeping and all that kind of stuff, so. Dan heard the story and said, I never made it. He came over and said, I heard, kid, I heard you like the sobriety deal. I'm going to New York. Can you, can you have my kid? He's 
The shame, the guilt, I said, I turn around to my friends, what can I find some drugs? We went over there, thank you. We went over there, and um, of course the pain is much bigger around now, so it shows my consumption. I went on with vengeance, nothing worked. My body's reacting like the effects of the drugs and the, uh, the alcohol, the stamina. So I go to the bathroom, and wash, before I wash my hand, I lost my sight completely. Absolute pitch darkness. If I close my eyes now, do you see the red veins, the blood vessels and all that? It was like the scariest moment. But I knew I had nobody to blame. I knew I did it. If I scream, if I yell for her, it was going to be real. Intuitively, the only thing left for me was, I don't know, I felt like I got down my knee, put my hand on the toilet bowl, I said, I nothing, God, 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 I wasn't going to get up from there. So my side comes back slowly. Lightly, I get up, wash my mouth, go to the living room. They didn't miss me. They're doing what they're doing. Stretch my leg, pass me the drink, or the next thing I say. That I need to say over and over again to reflect that my personal understanding of God, me being an alcoholic, whether it's a support of Alcoholics Anonymous, merely a superstition, self-seeking, just dream for me. So I'll. God and Alcoholics Anonymous are not different for me. I don't pray for fellowship. I get down to my knee and say, please, God, help me stay sober. At the end of the night, I feel better. When people are trying to bathe, I say, thank you, God, for keeping me sober. And uh, thanks for the day. So that dream was that lady. I said, I've been dreaming about this. I wish I could be free. That has been attainable every single day for this long. But I need to, not, I cannot stop by saying that my sobriety is this consistent day. So it hasn't been accomplished on my own virtue. I don't differentiate myself. I can't afford to. That's not the principle of the program. <coughs> I learned not to try to, to be good intuitions. It's a fact that the guys who got me sober built my days, my $20, my food, my job, the couch, are some of them have instructed sobriety. It's not a competition. If we're sober today, if you're hurting, I'm glad you're here. I pray that you can come back the next day. The best original thing I can do for my life is be an imitator of those people who are trying to stay sober. Now it becomes, I want, and that's only, saying all this, I promise you as sincere as I can be is only this, but that's only matters for now. <coughs> Tomorrow I keep, I hope I plug in myself to Alcoholics Anonymous, stay sober another day. Thank you for letting me share. We are still supporting our own contribution. Our speaker tonight is none other than my sponsor, Danny. I gotta push this. I did a piece of the action on this. My name is Don. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, it's a pleasure being here. And what a what a neat deal. And we did find it. I would be between the raindrops, and, and and I'm, say again, I guess I'm hearing things already, okay, and I'm sober a while, too, for crying out loud, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, I, 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 uh, Tarafa and I are from Los Angeles, 
And you can tell that because I wore suede in the rain, okay? Uh, it wasn't rainy when we left, but, uh, you know, and, and I'm happy to be here. And, uh, and as we uh, came up uh, Grand, we passed Mauna Loa, where my, uh, my sister and, and, uh, and, and niece used to live. Uh, they sold the house a long time ago, but it was, it was fun to come over here and, and, uh, and go buy some, some landmarks, and, uh, and it's a, a pleasure to join you guys. And, uh, you know, I, uh, one never knows uh, uh, how anyone would perceive them. And, uh, you know, and I hear the guy from coming in, and uh, he's standing up at the podium, and he, he, he might be a kindly old grandfather, perhaps, you know. Uh-uh. I'm a gangster, all right? I'm here to, I'm here to tell you, don't, don't fit the suede jacket that my wife put on me uh, for you. Uh, you know, and uh, I won't go through uh, all of that because we have stories, but in my, in, in my story there, there were a few arrests, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, and, 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 a, and a few, a few uh, you know, probably no human power would have relieved our alcoholism. I did not hear that. I kept looking for that, that right blonde on my arm that was gonna gonna take care of it, you know, and uh, and you know, and, and the, the deal is, is you know, I, I was younger, and and, and uh, you know, a couple ladies uh, took a shine to me. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I I don't know you guys. The beautiful part about coming to a meeting where you don't know anyone except two people is uh, you don't know who to resent. So you know, that, that makes it a lot easier for you to just enjoy the meeting. You know, so, but, you know, it's like, I, I was looking for this woman to, to save me. And, and ladies, uh, uh, you're looking at a man who is not afraid of commitment. I'll, I'll marry you in a, in a hot second if, if you have a job. And, uh, and I, I'm not, I, I don't know if I hold the record in this room, but I do, you know, I, I got to be honest with you so you'll know who you're dealing with. In my lifetime, I have had eight wives. Oh, thank you. Only, only three of them were mine, though. You know, but I like to brag about the other ones, you know, because you know I, I, I live in the past a, a lot. And uh, but you know what? No, and and they would they would see this fellow with a great potential. And oh my gosh, you know, with my help, uh, we're gonna rise to the top, and we'll be in a house on the hill. And what happens if you take potential over here? And alcohol over here, alcohol will kick butt on potential every single time. And that's what uh, kept happening to me. And then uh, these ladies would get, get tired and they'd leave and so forth. And, you know, like I say, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, Tarapa was welcoming anyone who might have come back. Uh, I, I, uh, I only had to go away once. Uh, I came to alcohol. Alcoholics Anonymous in 1969 uh, at the uh, uh, you know the invitation of a judge uh, he had uh, told me that I had to come on something about me being caught over in Hollywood with a, all right it was a machine gun but you know it, it, it wasn't my fault and, and and you guys will understand this it was my girlfriend's fault because I was keeping the gun at her house because you know the cops are always over in my house so it'd be silly to keep it in my house. And she got mad at me, and she said, "Go away! I don't ever want to see you again. And take this with you. You know, you know how a woman holds a machine gun. You know, like this. And 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 so I, I yelled at her or something, and told her 
she'd never find anyone like me again. And she said, oh my God, I hope so. And, and uh, off I went, and I would have never gotten arrested if I would have just shut my mouth, gone down to my car, opened the trunk, put the gun in the trunk, and driven home. The problem was I didn't have a car at the moment. I meant uh, to have a car, uh, you know, uh, but I was between cars, so to speak. And uh, so there I was in Hollywood. I needed to get back to North Hollywood. And uh, so I'm walking up the street, and I figure, well, what the heck? If I got to walk up the street, I might as well look cool going up the street. So there I was. And someone was peeping out their window at 3 o'clock in the morning and sees this uh, big guy up there with a, you know, whatever, and, and ratted me out to the cops. And here they come, and a bunch of lights blazing and everything. And I know I'm in trouble because I know that I'm not supposed to have this, and I know I've been drinking. And so I put the gun in the bushes real quick and then tried to look not to lot. you know what I'm saying? And the, the cops that came up and they said, we're looking for a, a six-foot-four guy with a beard and a rifle. And I said, officer, I understand that perfectly. This neighborhood's dangerous. That's why I'm trying to leave. And he did not think that was funny. And he said, look, punk. Nobody calls me punk. Except uh, my gun was in the bushes and he had his. So I just said, uh, uh, officer, uh, if, if I tell you where that gun is, would you not arrest me? And he said, Don, I said, now look at the people around. I've got my sergeants here. I've got to do something. If you tell me where the gun is, my word of honor as an officer, I will not arrest you. So I thought it over with this mind in which there is a peculiar mental twist. And I said, should I take the, uh, the misdemeanor, a $25 fine for being drunk on the street, or the felony behind bush number two over here. And you already know me well enough to know what I did, don't you? I told him where it was. And, and then this, this kid goes over there and, he, he, you know, what a, a drama queen he was. He's holding the gun up in the air like they'd caught Oswald, you know, and the people on the curb are laughing because they think they've caught Dillinger, you know. And, you know, and I got to be honest, because of all the, the problems with the cops and people are down on the cops, the man kept his word to me. He did not arrest me. He had his uh, partner come over and arrest me. So that was, uh, technically, I think he slid. And I went, to, I went there, and there I was with the, my, my lower companions, not realizing I was one of their lower companions. And the judge, uh, I, I pleaded it out to, oh, I, got a, I had my girlfriend got me a lawyer from Dickens and Shyster somewhere and, and pleaded me down to brandishing a firearm in the city limits and and uh, i had uh i got one year probation time served and uh six aa meetings so uh you know i'm feeling like i might have beat it but i got to go to these uh, a and a people that you're talking about and i heard what a bunch of lames you know and, and and so i i go in there and i i but i figure you know what uh there might be a nice-looking blonde in there. You just never know. And uh, so I went in there, and uh, it was a book study that afternoon. Noon book study. And on top of that, the chapter was Two Wives. So that was a thrill a minute, you know. But there is one good, really good thing about a book study is lots of parking. So, you know, it was all right. I was able to find a parking place. Uh, and, oh, I, and I was unable to find a parking space 
because I was between cars. I forgot I was between cars. I took the bus. It was 25 cents in those days. And I looked around and what a bunch of lames, you know, the, my children have come back to me and I have a job and I found a parking space out front and I said, oh my God, I wouldn't have even drunk with them. But I was the only guy with a, a, a court card in the basket there, you know, so who was the lame, you know? So at the end of it, and they're talking about the wife and, you know, the poor husband and, you know, can't you take a drink in your own house for crying out loud that they're paying for? And so, and, and the deal is, is at the end, they grab you, whether you want them to or not, and they do the Lord's Prayer, and I knew, thank you, God, <laughs> I you, I, he's liking this pitch so far, so anyway, uh, and, and, and they do this like this, and I'm thinking, oh, they've recognized me, uh, I'm, I'm the, in the middle of the wave here, and then I, uh, out, and all of a sudden, I'm looking over, and there's this blonde, and she's got blue eyes and I can see them all across the room and she comes walking up to me and I'm thinking oh my god I still got it and she says you're new aren't you I don't know how she knew that I said why yes I am and she said well come back tonight yeah. All right, so I'm really excited. I'm going to come back tonight, so I go home, and I, I figure I, I got a nice, clean shirt off the pile there, you know, and I put it on, and I'm ready, and I go in there, and I'm looking around, and you know what? She was not there, all right? You know, but I kind of, I know, I kind of like that, though. Uh, I like a woman that plays uh, hard to get, but, and, and uh, she, I did run into her again. We never had a romantic encounter. But uh, she did introduce me to my sponsor, a fellow by the name of Cliff, a man in whom the problem had been solved. And he saw this guy that was, you know, who had an ego about the size of Wisconsin, you know. And Wisconsin's a swing state, so, you know, it could go any, any way. And, and, and so he took me under his wing, and, uh, and, uh, and he started me out. Uh, on, on Alcoholics Anonymous and, and on the steps, you know, and it, it, it wasn't a problem for me to admit that I was powerless over alcohol because I kept going to jail and I kept losing jobs and I kept not having, a, you know, I, I could, anyone, I look at the heads going like this, okay, so you guys do understand what I'm talking about. And so the, the deal is that uh, he said uh, there is a step two and he was pointing out this big book that you guys read. And he, he got me one because I didn't have, at, those time, at that time it was $4.99 for a big book. And I didn't have $4.99. I only had a quarter to get over there to the, to the place. And so, the, and, and what happened was we started out, he said, you know, and, and, and he did start me on the, the fourth step. And uh, I gotta admit that I didn't do my fourth step right away. I can't change my sobriety. Uh, I, I meant to do my fourth step, but I found out that I was going to have to stop blaming all those people other than me and look for my own defects of character and where I had gone wrong. And and Clifford would come and I want to tell you, if you're working on a fourth step or a tenth step right now, take some advice from a guy who's been around a while. Don't, when your sponsor says, hey, how's that uh, fourth step going? Don't say, oh, it's going great, because they will know you're lying, because if it's going great, you're saying, oh, my God. You know what I found out? I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a thief. I don't accept the fact that another one of God's kids might be spiritually like sick like me. 
uh, I'm a, an unlicensed mind reader. You know, I'm trying to play God, you know, and all that stuff when we're actually doing the writing. So, you know, just go ahead and tell the truth to your sponsor. It's not going to hurt. They, they don't bite for the very, for a couple of them, I don't know. But uh, you, you got to be really careful. So the deal is, if you, if you want to do the work, you got to do the work. And uh, they, we even have a chapter called There is a Solution. And it tells us about the work. And it's great. There's a solution. I'm not going to have to drink anymore. I'm not going to have to go to jail anymore. I might be able to stay married for over a couple of years. And, 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 but on page 25, unfortunately, it tells us what that solution is. And it tells us that almost no one likes the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confessions of shortcomings that the process requires for its successful consummation. So I got all excited, there's a solution, and now I'm going to have to do some work, and I'm not going to be able, be able to do the work on you guys. I got to do the work on me. But old clever man, he was, he'd been around a while, and he would drag me around, and and, uh, and, and and at the end of a meeting, instead of just going and hitting on the, the ladies in the in the meeting, he'd, we'd grab some drunk with one tooth, you know, and, uh, and it had a cavity in it, too, so, you know, and, 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 and we'd, we'd talk to him, and then Clifford would say, what about you, Don? And I'd say, well, uh, I haven't had a drink in... in uh, almost 90 days, and my rent's paid, and I have a bus pass, and, and you know, and, and we just kept doing this, 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 and this, and then what, what uh, happened for me that I think was what changed my life and what got me to write an inventory was I was 11 months sober, and I was at a meeting, and there was a, a young man from New Jersey, he was a, a biker, uh, 17 years old, he was a biker, and, uh, and he came up to me and he said, uh, hey, Don, would you be my sponsor? And I went, well, all right, let me just run it by Cliff over here. I'll be right back. And I went over to Clifford and I said, hey, Clifford, Steve wants me to be his sponsor. You know what my sponsor said to me right to my face? He said, poor Steve. <laughs> what the heck? I go to meetings with you. We go on 12-step car calls. You know, what's the deal? And he said, well... Uh, you can tell them how not to drink for 11 months because you haven't had a drink in 11 months, but you can't show them how to do a four-step because you haven't done one and you don't know how to listen to one and you're a mess. And I said, well, thank you for sharing. And uh, so, But I wanted to have a sponsor because I kept hearing you guys talk about how great it was to be able to walk in another man or woman's uh, life and help her or him along. And so I wanted to have this kid. So I'm over here and I'm thinking, uh, I, I'm mad at my mother for not nursing me long enough. Or Stephen, we're powerless over alcohol. Our lives are becoming, uh, my daddy didn't come to my uh, basketball game. You know, uh, I came to believe in the power of ourselves. We're going to do it all over here. You know, I should have stopped kissing her when she went to sleep. But, you know, I don't, you know, whatever it was. I can't remember what the defects were, but they weren't very pretty, okay? And, and what happened is I beat Stephen. And I then I was in and uh, and I said, whoa, this is pretty interesting because I can't change them, but I can change me. And and I never knew that I was such a big piece of you know what. And uh, and uh, and so and, and then Stephen got his, and then we stayed sober and we started doing things and running around like different meetings and so on and so forth. And then what happened? 
When again, something that might have helped me is uh, I, 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 another man came into my life and my little teeny life, now Stephen was in it, and this guy came in and he was a rock and roll singer from a big band, all right? And he got thrown out of that band for, are you ready? Drinking too much, all right? And that's hard to do in a rock and roll, but, but you know who I'm talking about, okay? And, uh, and so uh, he managed it, and so now there we were, and, we, and, and then another guy and another guy. And what happened is we were on fire about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and, you know, and I started making those amends that, that, that are talked about. I started getting, I always thought I was an older boy when I was a kid, you know, and that was in the tough time when you had to do it in Latin. And, you know, so some of you guys that are doing it now in English, but, uh, you know, or Espanol, depending. And, uh, you know, the, the deal is, is that, that uh, it started getting better for me, and I started really enjoying it. And, and I started, and then I got a car, for crying out loud, which was awesome. And, and, it, and it, had, it had my name and the name of the woman who signed for me. All right? Okay. All right. I wasn't quite there yet. Okay? Okay. So, you know, there we're going. We're going along. And, and uh, uh, you know, and, and so I'm looking around, and I dated a few gals. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Clifford was funny. You know, Clifford... Uh, I was in in, in, the, in the movie business, and Clifford was in the movie business, and I wanted to impress him. And and uh, so I would be talking about women on location and this, that, and the other thing. And Clifford said, I don't care who you slept with. I just want to know you can stay sober uh, for another 24 hours. And I want you to go home, and I want you to read page 69. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, this guy is jacking me around, you know. But I do what he asked me, and I went home, and I'm all excited because maybe it's going to tell me how to get more women and can keep them this time. And what it says, and it's uh, this, this was really disappointing. It said I can't be selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate, and that I can't unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness. I don't know what it's like in Glendora, but in L.A., that cuts out about 96% of your action if you tell them the truth. I'm just telling you, okay? And, 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 and then, then Clipper pointed out, if sex is a problem, uh, throw yourself harder into helping someone else. It doesn't even say that it has to be a, a no big book, but that there's one around here somewhere. It doesn't even say it has to be an alcoholic. Just help someone else, because God's got all kinds of kids. Proved by the 12th step, it tells us in the 12th step that, uh, you know, we want to help other alcoholics, and then what? Practice these principles in all our affairs. Because, you know, there's only a small amount of people that actually drink, only a smaller amount that become alcoholic, and a teensy-weensy little bit that, like you and I, come to Alcoholics Anonymous. So God's got a lot more kids. And the thing is, to get a conscious contact with God, we have an 11th step. And so at night, when, when I'm going to, to talk to God, and I'm saying, hey, God, uh, you know, I'd like to get closer to you. And God said, I'd like you to be closer, but you were really mean to the checker over at Ralph's Market today. And, you know, so then I started trying to be nicer to people around me. You know, what a 
painted up behind that was, you know, some of these people just, they don't deserve it. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, God, you know, he's got his rules and so on and so forth. So uh, the deal, the deal is that, uh, you know, it started, it started to get better for me. I started with my, my amends. And then what happened was uh, I did run into this, this one lady and she was pretty cool, not a blonde, she was a brunette, and she was just nice, and she was sober and everything, and we got along pretty good, and she was pretty fond of me, and I was pretty fond of her, except for one thing, and, and I told you I was shallow, and I am, uh, she had two kids, and, you know, just that would, that would really slow me down in my life, you know, the kids and everything, so uh, I decided that uh, we were going to break up, and she was not pleased about that. All right, and uh, and <laughs> she stopped talking to me for whatever reason, and I tried and I did uh, make amends uh, to her twice, and she didn't care because she knew I was making amends for me, and, and you know she just wasn't that interested in either forgiving me or accepting what I had done, apparently, and uh, she would come in like a Tarapa and I were standing there, Tarapa's here, she'd come up and talk to Tarapa. And just they say nothing to me, and that's that's embarrassing for Tarapa. It's a, I didn't care, you know. So and, and and the deal is, is what happened was uh, she and she went off and got and married some guy, you know, that wasn't me. Not a problem. In fact, I liked the guy. He was all right. Unfortunately, he couldn't stay stay uh, sober, and uh, that was the problem. And one day there was a meeting, a meeting we called uh, the uh, Solutions Meeting in Church of the Chimes in Studios in uh, uh, Sherman Oaks, and uh, it's full. And there's only one seat left in the in the meeting, and it was next to me. And in comes this Terry, and and she's looking around, and she sees no seats, and she's going like this, and she catches my eye, and she doesn't want to catch my eye, and I go. <laughs> and she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to, uh, uh, you know, disrespect the meeting. So she comes over and she sits down and looks straight ahead. All right. And the guy that was leading that night, a guy, English guy by the name of Mark, was there. And so he says, "Good evening, everyone. My name is Mark, and I'm an alcoholic." And I leaned over to Terry and I said, "His name's Mark." And she kicked me. <laughs> And it was on, all right? And on May 5th of this year, we celebrated 26 years of sobriety. Marriage. And sobriety as well, both of those things. And, uh, you know, so it's, it works a little bit better when there are sober, sober individuals in the home, when you're actually, oh, come on, telling each other the truth, for crying out loud, you know, even if it hurts, even if it makes you look silly, and, and, you know, and, and I, I got to help raise those kids, uh, help, help uh, get one of them through college. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a terrific thing. And our house on any given day is, is full of phone calls. Or in the old days when you used to, people used to come over, uh, there'd be people around that you can remember. And uh, it's just, uh, it, it's one of, one of the gifts of, uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, you know, it's like, uh, we, do we quit at 7 o'clock? Does anyone know the answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> Questions get harder, by the way. What do we do? What do we do? 45 minutes. 25 minutes? 45 minutes. 45 minutes? From the time you start. I'm, okay. <laughs>
Now I gotta do math over here too. I gotta do pitch and math. All right, I'll do my best. Okay, so the deal is, the deal is, I, uh, so okay, so I'll, I'll take another 15 minutes. Okay, so because now I'm sober, and uh, and uh, you know, and, and and you know, this morning we were actually talking. Uh, we were reading one of the books. I can't remember if it was hers or mine, uh, and it was talking about telling the truth. And, and, uh, and, you know, that was kind of like what is the, the bedrock of, of, our, of our relationship. And, uh, you know, and, 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 we, and we, thank, we thank my sponsor and her sponsor for keeping that marriage together because there were times when she would, I know you're not going to believe this, but she would not behave the way I wanted her to, all right? And uh, we have these things called resentments and they come up, but there is a, a process for that. And after you've done your fourth step, you write a tenth step on it. And, uh, you know, where, where, where who made you mad and uh, what did it affect? And then putting out of our minds the wrongdoings of others, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. And uh, that's the way I've learned it, and that's the way it works. And I have, a, I, I have the good fortune to sponsor a bunch of guys. And I like them to do a 10th step, uh, not that I'm that smart, but the big book suggests that if we do it, that we're going to be all right. And we can be nicer to one another, and it's a little easier in that 10th step when God doesn't get us and say, yeah, you were mean to your wife or your dad or your mom or whatever. And so the thing is, we need one another like Tarapa was talking about. You know, and I, I've had the, you know, the, the, my life got huge. Uh, you know, the men in, that, that I've been able to sponsor, the people I know, I've held his children, and now they're grown, you know, and it's like, it's, it, it's unbelievable. Now, if, you, if you're new and you're, and you're saying, well, we're glad that you drove out here in, in the rain, but, uh, you know, and we're, we're glad that your life is good, but I have this problem with alcohol. Well, I'm telling you what the solution is. I did not invent the solution. It comes from God. And, and, and it is doing the steps. And it's, if you don't know how to do it and you have trouble reading, another man or another woman will be happy to help you out because it makes us feel better when we're helping someone else. There's an old, uh, I think it's a Chinese deal, that says no man stands, no man or woman. It, it says man, but you guys need to be included too. Big book didn't bother, but I will, okay? And, and so uh, no man stands so tall as when he stoops to help another man. And what happens is that alcohol used to make me feel good. And now working with someone or maybe just coming and, and seeing the children here, you know, that we are people that should not be allowed to be around children, and yet we are, you know? And, and you know, we are people that, that get to take care of dogs. We are people that get to, to barbecue, and you know, the, you know, and that is about uh, it is about sobriety, and so you know the the deal is is that uh, it's been a it's been a really wonderful road for me. But you know, some of the great things that have happened uh, along the road, I got uh, I uh, you know I remember one of the the uh, twelve steps that Clifford and I went on. I was like. Uh, 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 Clifford didn't go. That was it. I was 13 months sober, and a guy called, and, and, and he was uh, dying of alcoholism. And I called Clifford, and Clifford couldn't go. And, 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 and I said, well, what do I do? He said, well, go over and get someone and go over and help him out. 
And I said, but, but I'm only, I've only got 13 months. And he said, did you read the big book? I said, yeah. He said, did you read Bill's story? I said, yeah. Heavy Thatcher came to Bill. How long was he sober when he 12-stepped in? It's too much, Squibber. I'll, I'll talk to you later. And I went and I got this the, the rock the rock singer, okay, because he's now got 90 days. And I, we got an, another fella by the name of English Bill who was there, and he had uh, he had a, a 12 days. He had 12 days, and off we go. And now I've got a car, which is pretty good. So off we go. Us God in the big book, and I'm feeling good because I'm the head drop. And we go over, and we and we, we knock. I knock on the door, and the guy comes to the door. And he's got a, a one of these undershirts on with schmutz all over it, and and uh, you know, and, and he said, "Yeah, what do you want?" I said, "I'm done. You just talked to me on the phone." He said, "I remember. Who are these guys? They're with me." Oh, all right then. Come on in. So we walked in, and this place was. To that red chair, over to the second bunch of benches, over, down, back, a bachelor pad. And it didn't have a stick of furniture in it. Well, it had one stick of furniture. It had the, the, the cinder block bookcase. I don't know if you guys ever made one of those. And it had a copy of one book on it, The Prophet, you know, to get chicks. So that, you know, to impress them. And so, you know, so... He's down, and there's a, there's a mattress on the floor with a bunch of just soiled bedclothes and everything, and he's down there, and, and I'm I'm there, and I'm saying, and God has brought us back to sanity, and, you know, whatever it was, it was not very good, and he wasn't buying it. So I, 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 I go over to the, the, the singer, and I say, you're in. And he goes over, and he says, oh, well, uh, <clears throat> I stopped drinking. And, and, and I'm 90 days sober, and I'm going down to Florida to do a record, and I think my career's going to come back. And apparently the guy didn't like uh, rock and roll, so we only had one guy left with 12 days, English Bill. And English Bill went right to it, and he got right down to it, and he said, Bruce, if you don't stop drinking alcohol... You're going to lose all this. <laughs> the thing is, that was the man that Bruce needed to hear. You see? Because he didn't want to lose, you know? And what happened is, some 20 years later at one of the conventions, uh, Dave and I gave him a cake for 20 years. I guess he's still sober. I don't know. But the thing is, and here's what I've learned, uh, is that... Uh, you know, if you know you, you hear people, whatever your sponsor tells you, do, do as your sponsor asks, please. But uh, you know, they say you know, take the, the the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. You know, the thing is, God God doesn't have a wristwatch. You know, and then if He did, it would be better than this one. And 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 if He needs something said, He'll have it said by whoever's talking. So the thing is, when, when I come around and a newcomer gets a chip, and congratulations on that, uh, you know, I listen. Because I might hear something that I need to hear. I still go to two book studies. And the reason is, and I've studied that book, but I still hear good stuff. I still hear new stuff. And I'm able to pass on, uh, you know, my sobriety, you know, the things that I've discovered in the, in the reading and, and in the, the experiences I had and from where, where I came. And so the deal is, 
is that, uh, you know, if, I don't know, I guess we're all sober, I'm, I'm, I'm counting on it, but if any one of us, including myself or Tarafa, or Patrick, or, or, or Les, you know, any one of us were to take a drink, we'd lose all this. And that would not be a good thing, because it is one drunk helping another drunk. And it's an awesome program, and, and you were talking about whenever two or three or more are gathered from the Bible, and in the big book as well. It only takes a couple of us talking back and forth. It tells us in, in, uh, in uh, We Agnostics, you know, that we can get to, if, we, if we're armed with facts about ourselves and we have some sobriety, we can get the confidence of another person who's dying of alcoholism in a matter of a couple hours or maybe an hour or whatever. And so the thing is, we are charged with that. And is, uh, they talk about, you know, is there a substitute for alcohol? Well, I don't know. Oh, wait, it's in the big book. It's in a vision for you. And it says, yes, there is. And it's a better substitute. And it's the fellowship. And that's the man or woman sitting next to you. And that's the deal. That's the substitute for alcohol. But the, the, the uh, recovery from alcoholism is to, to do the 12 steps and to get in touch with a power greater than yourself. That can solve your problem. Because a lot of us... Uh, you know, we've gone to church or whatever, and it didn't solve our problem. But the, the, the power greater than ourself that can solve my problem, my particular problem, was one that I was talking to, and one that I was trying to get a conscious contact with, and one that I was trying to impress him, trying to people please him. So he'd give me stuff. You know, I remember, I remember one time I was there and I was praying, and I said, God, if if, if I were to have a Mercedes-Benz, I could 12-step more people. And God said, Don, that's a great idea. Why don't you buy one? It's not what I had in mind. Uh, you know, so things go on and they go on. And, you know, a lot has happened. We have, I, we have one of our kids is a, has a Ph.D., in philosophy, I don't know how they're going to support us in our old age. Oh, wait a second, I'm there. Oh, uh, yeah, speaking of old age, I was at a meeting, more will be revealed, I was at a meeting the other night, and Dougal shared that he was, uh, uh, you were there, and, and, and uh, he shared that he was sober half his life. And I went, oh my God, that's great. And I went, wait a second, I'm sober half my life. And that's awesome. And it's thanks to men and women like you and a power greater myself. I don't need to explain it to you. If you, if you don't understand it, talk to me afterward. And I'll explain it to you, okay? And, and I'll tell you where you can read about it, and it's in there. So, you know, the thing is, we're sober. We're, 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 we're you know, we don't want to lose all this. And the thing is, is that stuff's going to happen for us. And one of the things that's going to happen is I'm going to sit down in about four minutes, all right? We have dreams. And your dreams, uh, so many of my dreams, my guys are, are, have come true. You know, I, 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 I tell you about them, but it would sound like bragging. So just believe me when I tell you that stuff has happened in my life. And men around me and women around me, we see it all the time. And so the deal is, yes, you got to, in order to, to have something happen, you got to know what it is that you want. So we have these things and we call them dreams. And so we dreamed, and you know, and, and I had dreams when I came here. I dreamed I wanted to run a marathon, 
and then, not exactly your marathoner's body, I'm just saying, but, you know, it's like I wanted to go to Europe because I loved art, and I'd never been to Europe. You were talking about me going to Europe. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I wanted to, to uh, send my, 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 my uh, kid to bring, take my kid to New York so she could see some of this beautiful stuff. And, and it didn't happen in my first year or second year, but in my seventh year, I got to train because Clipper taught me to put one foot in front of the other. I trained for the New York City Marathon, and I ran and I completed the New York City Marathon. And the guy that won it was some guy, a little spindly guy from Kenya, you know, one of these fast <laughs> little guys. And, you know, he, he ran it, and in two, two hours and, and uh, 18 minutes, uh, he was had a wreath on his head and was drinking Perrier. And in two hours and 18 minutes... I was in Queens, waiting, you know. Anyone can run for two hours and 18 minutes. It takes a sober man like myself to run for five hours and 15 minutes. That's what I'm saying, okay? And uh, Heather, my daughter Heather, uh, she did graduate, and because I hadn't given uh, all my money to the, the drug man and the bartender and uh, the, the divorce lawyers, uh, the, you know, I was able to, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? So, you know, and, uh, and I'm sorry about that. And, 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 uh, and I was able to send Heather to, to New York. I got send her, I took her. And we saw all of these wonderful places. And, and then I had some flight mileage left. And I sent her to, to uh, uh, Hawaii with her graduating class. I didn't send her graduating class. I just sent Heather to meet her graduating class there. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, and, and I've been to Europe uh, four, five, six times. And these are dreams that I have. And you're saying, uh, well, you know, Don, we're glad that you came out here. Uh, we're glad it stopped raining. We're glad that you got to get your fat butt around 26 miles. We're glad you got to go to Europe. We're glad Heather got to go to Hawaii and New York. But what has this got to do with Alcoholics Anonymous and not drinking? And I'm going to tell you. Well, nothing. <laughs> Zero. Unless you're a man or woman who has the disease of alcoholism, who walked into a room or a gathering like this, found a man or a woman in whom the problem had been solved, did the 12 steps, found a power greater than yourself, and then put your hand out and helped another alcoholic to achieve sobriety, and then it has everything to do with it. And I'm going to tell you something, and then I promise you I'm sitting down. You know, tonight, here's what I would ask of you. And if I'm going to ask you of, it of you, I'm going to do it myself. Tonight, when you get home or back to wherever you are, to, you know, you, you know, and, and, and you, you've had a great day, and you lay your head down and you thank God for your sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous. And you lay your head down and you say, thank you, God, as you fall asleep. Do me a favor, because I'm going to do it. Let your dreams begin. Thanks.
I'm less alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give them both a hand for. Yeah. Let's give uh, Carlo and Fernando a hand for this. Yeah. Everybody that brought food, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we need help cleaning up afterwards. So uh, help us afterwards, and if anybody wants to volunteer uh, for to be a part of this group. We need some volunteers. We we're looking for a literature person. Uh, see us after the meeting. And uh, I'm your grapevine rep. Uh, meeting in a print. One year, $28.97. Two years, 58 bucks. And uh, what we do here is, uh, I got this grapevine that says, Make an amends. So uh, I'm going to give this out to somebody that needs it. So come on up and get it. And we're going to read it, and then you bring it back. And then we're going to start circulating them, you know. Now, if you know somebody that might need one of these, give it to them as a gift or send it to the penitentiary or take it to the police station, you know. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it works. I mean, you, you could be stuck on stupid in your car and have one of these, and you read it, and you know, and everything's okay, you know. We could do this deal. Here's a good one. Sober after 60. Yeah. Is there somebody here want to pick this one up? Sober after 60? All right, here yeah. we go. That's right. I know you don't Lisa. believe it, so it's fucking amazing. Oh, All right, Lisa. You can say amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We could do this still together. Here's, here we go. It's the promises. If we are painstaking about the phase of our development, we will be amazed before our halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see that our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will internally know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled some among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Keep coming back.